and good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when just about anything can happen. And on this show, many, many times, it actually does. Well, there's a lot of news going on on the planet tonight, but we're not going to take a lot of time because a lot of it has to do with Afghanistan. We're going to be dealing extensively with our resident historian, Dr. Uh, Rick Spence, tomorrow night with uh, Afghanistan and where it is and why it is and why it has somehow come to loom so large and crucial in American foreign policy and military policy and a whole bunch of other um, uh, legalisms. So we're not going to spend time on that tonight. I I will, however, talk to you about one thing which is very newsworthy, which we should be paying very close attention to, particularly if you are anywhere along the Louisiana Gulf Coast. There is a major hurricane, Hurricane Ida, which is bearing down on the Gulf Coast. And before it makes landfall tomorrow afternoon, just a few hours before tomorrow night show, uh, it's supposed to make landfall as a Cat 4. Now, Cat 4 has winds above 125 uh, miles an hour. And in fact, I think I'm kind of underestimating that. It's been a while since I looked at the the scale, but it could cause enormous problems for the Gulf Coast. So anybody uh, listening to us tonight along the Gulf Coast, get out of there. There's going to be a 10 to 15 foot storm surge. What's a storm surge? Well, if you live... On the Gulf Coast, you know what a damn storm surge is. If you don't, uh, it may be too late to learn. It's basically a huge wave of water pushed up by an approaching hurricane, particularly on the right-hand upper side of the storm, what's called the the, uh, dirty side, where the motion of the hurricane combined with the winds of the hurricane, which are rotating counterclockwise, uh, add... No relativity here. And so you get really enormous winds. You get an enormous uh, pile of water pushed up in front of the moving storm. And when that reaches shallow uh, coastal waters, it crests as a wave. And in this case, along the coast uh, tomorrow night, it could rise as high as uh, 15 feet. There's no way anyone can survive tidal surge, so get out of there. There's no way you can stay there, so get out. Uh, We'll give you another update as we get further into the evening. But this one could be very deadly. This one is very large. And the weirdest part is it's going to make landfall tomorrow evening exactly. I mean, this is exactly 16 years to within a few hours, an hour or two, I think, of the landfall of Katrina. 16 years ago. So this is uh, this is an important one. You should be paying careful attention, certainly to your local weather forecasts, the weather channel. But if you're along that coast, for God's sake, leave. You cannot survive. We're going to be talking tonight about a planet millions of miles away, which does not have a lot of water at the moment. It's the planet Mars. But what has been found in the last few days, and I'm probably going to go out on a limb here, I haven't checked with everybody 
uh, who's part of the program tonight. Uh, but that's going to kind of happen in real time. As we go through the morning, I have not checked with everybody about their opinions of this rather extraordinary discovery made by the Ingenuity helicopter, the so-called four-pound little four-foot-wide, that's the width of the rotors, uh, tech demo helicopter that the unmanned robot Perseverance, the Perseverance rover, the $2.7 billion rover that NASA sent successfully to Mars back uh, last February on the 18th. Um, we don't know whether it's found other things, but this, this, this discovery, this amazing serendipitous discovery is only one of three that I think we can rightfully attribute to the Ingenuity helicopter as part of the current mission. And these discoveries, remember there are three, and we're going to go through them tonight, and then we're going to link them with other discoveries from some of our uh, enterprise imaging team investigators, some of them more recent, some of them made a couple, three years ago. The whole part of science is you take a whole bunch of individual pieces, individual data points, and you try to put them together to tell you a story a story of what happened with Mars, given that we have no ground truth, given that we're not there, given that we can't just run outside and grab a sample and bring it back in and analyze the heck out of it. Um, everything is being done by remote control. As you know, part of the uh, um, mission of Perseverance is to um, kind of cache samples, meaning they do drilling, they put the materials from their drilling into these little, you know, stainless steel um, sterilized tubes. They will put the tubes in a place somewhere in, in Jezero, and then in future years, maybe five years from now, when uh, NASA and the European Space Agency send another spacecraft back to Mars, the idea is to land back in Jezero to basically find the cache of little tubes of sampling that uh, Percy has drilled and stashed away, load them on board a return unmanned robotic spacecraft, and fire them up to rendezvous with an uh, unmanned mothership in Mars orbit, and then send them on a uh, multi-month planned trajectory back to Earth sometime maybe five years, maybe eight years from now. The, the time frame is uncertain because the funding is uncertain. And tonight we're going to talk about one thing or one set of things that we're really, 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 really hoping the JPL team is planning to sample and include in their cache of, of rocks from Mars because it doesn't quite look as if it's rocks. And without further ado, uh, let me introduce the rest of our gang this morning. Um, actually, I have to do a little scrolling here, so let me do that. We have with us tonight, um, let me get to the right list. We have uh, Ron Gerbron, who, of course, is our generalist and who's going to be talking about 
some very interesting ruins uh, and ruin-like formations on Mars that he's been looking at. Over the last couple, three months, we're going to have Holger Eisenberg on. He is an imaging specialist. He's on the uh, West Coast currently of the United States, up in the Bay Area, working in uh, Silicon Valley with computer systems. And uh, he is avidly interested in NASA and other space uh, mission imaging, has managed to bring some order out of chaos in terms of the correct color of some of the NASA imagery, particularly going all the way back to the Viking missions, and we might touch on that briefly tonight. Then we have uh, Ruggiero, who is a British, who is a podiatrist, and whose reason for joining our merry band is that as a good citizen scientist, many years ago, he spotted something on a NASA image and proceeded from his background, his medical background, to draw a sketch. Well, the sketch turns out to be of something that nobody, except maybe this team, would ever have expected to find on the planet Mars. We were going to have Kinthea with us, but uh, she has some issues with her family upcountry that had to be taken care of on a rather short time, time fuse. So we will not have her. We will have some of her data, and I'm going to try to do it justice as we move through the morning. And finally, last but not least, is uh, Keith Morgan, who was our IT expert, our sound guy, our engineering guy. And oh, he also discovered the Morgan curve at Sidonia on Mars. And he called me up at the crack of dawn this morning, was well, kind of crack of my dawn. And he said, you've got to see this video. So a little later in the program, we're going to talk about, with the example, in his section of Radio with Pictures, this rather intriguing video, which appeared in the last day or so, um, and which has very interesting features, but it also comes with some baggage, and we'll talk about both in the uh, uh, next three hours. So, without further ado, um, let me let me see what should I do at the top here. I probably should um, address some of my imagery. So if you're new to the show, we have this section called Radio with Pictures, so you can kind of follow along on whatever device you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight on. And if you go to our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says rather boldly, <laughs> Ingenuity has made an astonishing discovery on Mars. Actually, by the time Kinthea uh, uh, had posted the graphic I prepared, uh, there were two more that I found. So it's really three discoveries. And so we're going to start there. This is part of a series of images taken by the Ingenuity tech demo helicopter um, just a few days ago on flight 11. Remember, they originally expected to spend about a month with, I think, between three and five flights. It may have been four flights, and now we're up to number 12 because about halfway through this period of time when they were looking at the results and the fact that they even were able to fly remotely by computer control, an autonomous helicopter, a drone in essence, on another planet, um, they kind of realized, which I think is 
kind of for public benefit. I think they always were thinking this in the back of their minds. Well, if this damn thing works, maybe we can use it to help the Perseverance rover mission. And so now that's what they have done. <clears throat> They've sent this little four-foot-wide flitter out across the reddish Martian sands on jaunts up to, you know, like a 1,000 feet, and it sets down uh, in a totally new space, and they let it sit there for several days while it charges the batteries, and they analyze the previous navigation images and the color images from the second camera mounted on the side of the bottom of that little uh, box of uh, um, highly um, Kevlar line material. It looks like bright gold. It's mylar, actually. Um, and so poking through that mylar is this color camera. And on the color images from the last flight, the folks over at unmannedspaceflight.com, in fact, I think the a guy named Fred Tau, uh, Frederick T-A-U, that's his last name. He found something and has posted a series of images, really incredibly interesting and frankly astonishing, and uh, a, a discovery that comes with such interesting implications that I want to make that the kind of cornerstone for our discussion this evening because frankly, and I'm going to find out because, again, as I said, we have not run these analyses past each one of us. We're looking at this data separately. And so you're going to kind of eavesdrop on a live bull session amongst us, uh, the four or five of us who are here tonight, as to what we think we're seeing, where we think it may have come from, and what NASA should do to confirm um, some really interesting ideas for the source of the material which led to the unmannedspaceflight.com discovery on Ingenuity's uh, color image from Flight 11. So without further ado, let me direct you to the other side of midnight.com. You click on tonight's banner, uh, which as I said earlier, says rather boldly, Ingenuity has made an astonishing discovery on Mars. Click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you'll see uh, a, a, a kind of a headline that says to listen to the show. Under that, you'll see uh, a line that says fast links to items with my name, Ron's, Holger's, Ruggiero's, Kinthea's, and Keith's. Click on my name. That will take you down to my section of radio with pictures. And I want to direct your attention to item number two. This is the wide-angle, uh, somewhat color-corrected um, image, color image taken by Ingenuity a few days ago. If you look at the very – by the way, you can click on these, and they get much bigger. Um, and as you can see, this is a processing from uh, um, um, uh, Thomas Apierre, who was a uh, – Civilian citizen scientist working on image processing in France. He does really good work. If you look at this on the big screen, you know, click on it and make it big, you'll see that it's been uh, corrected. It's had the vignetting corrected, meaning the brightness toward the center of the raw images due to the 
way the lens and the uh, CCD and the uh, off-the-shelf camera that NASA used for the Ingenuity color camera um, uh, kind of ready-made. Um, he's corrected out all those imperfections, and you can see this very elongated kind of stretched out rubber looking image, which is what happens when you, you know, take out all the distortions of the original wide angle camera being used to take the pictures. And up along the horizon, you'll see uh, the distant crater rim, you'll see the sky in the upper right in that kind of corner of the bizarre looking uh, uh, undistorted image. At the very bottom in the middle, right above the uh, caption, where it says Ingenuity Flight 11, you'll see this this shadow of the helicopter itself. This is the actual scaled image taken at altitude uh, with the camera looking down. It's a very wide-angle camera. It's more than 90 degrees, so it can look not only directly underneath the spacecraft, it can look to the horizon, you know, more than 90 degrees in one shot, as you can see. Well... Just to the right, upper right of the dark shadow of the helicopter with its four little landing legs and the blurred motion of the blades and the dark shadow of the electronics box, which is slung underneath uh, those blades, you'll see to the upper right at about the two o'clock position, uh, about two widths of the helicopter blade shadow to the upper right, you'll see a weird little feature on the ground, which is, well, it looks like an X. Yes, you heard me right. It looks like an X on the planet Mars. Crazy, right? Now, the first thing anybody might think of is, good grief, is this a hieroglyph? Is this something left by the ancient civilization or civilizations on Mars that we've been pursuing for several decades? And the answer is no. And how do we know it's a no? If you look at item number three, this is now an enlargement um, of the same shot. On the lower left, you can see the shadow of ingenuity with the blades, which even though this is a very high-speed shutter, Remember, these rotors are spinning at something like 2,400 RPM. That's 2,400 or more revolutions per minute. So the fact that the uh, motion is not stopped uh, at the framing speed of this camera for this shot is totally unsurprising. But if you look to the about 2 o'clock position, about two per, uh, uh, ingenuity widths of the blades away, you'll see that enlargement of this very obvious, very dramatic, very symmetrical, obviously real X on the planet Mars in Yezero Crater. Um, well, if it's not something that we found on Mars, if it's not something that... Um, uh, was uncovered, let's say, by the rotors blowing away the, the surface dust and sands and exposing something underneath, and we'll get to why that's not a tenable explanation in a moment, then what else could it be? Well, 
in any science, there's things that are obviously apparent. Then there's things which are like two or three steps away through a logic chain, meaning if this has happened and that's caused that to happen, then this should happen and that's what we're seeing. That that kind of logic, okay? So if you now skip down to item number four, uh, back out of that, remember all these are clickable, so you can click on them and make them much bigger. Uh, back out of that, go down to item number four. This is now the black and white nav cam images. Remember, Ingenuity carries two cameras, a black and white and a color camera. The black and white, which looks straight down and is capable of multiple, you know, hundreds of frames per second, is basically used by an onboard algorithmic navigation system to go from point A to point B in these remote computer control flights. So there's nobody sitting at JPL with a little joystick, you know, flying the drone. And if you go, if you click on that black and white series of three images, click on it, makes it full screen. Uh, you can see in the bottom right, it's uh, processed by uh, uh, Francis Tauber again. The image on the left is taken just after perseverance, I'm sorry, ingenuity, lifts off the surface. Image number two, moving from left to right, is obviously the shadow of ingenuity. Remember, this is taken around one o'clock local time, so the sun is almost directly overhead. Mars rotates at about the same time as Earth does, so um, it moves 15 degrees, <clears throat> give or take, across the sky uh, per hour, which means it's within 15 degrees of being kind of very high up in the zenith of the sky. So the shadow and the sun glint from reflection from the surface is straight underneath uh, ingenuity as it's flying across the surface. And then you can see um, image number three, um, <clears throat> it's taken a little higher, it's moved a little more, and But you can see, particularly um, uh, against one and two and three, there's this very light, very sharp-edged mirror image of what is obvious when you look at the comparison carefully, uh, the shadow of the helicopter blades, the planet Mars somehow imprinted on the surface. Now, we're going to have a very interesting discussion um, in the next segment because we're uh, coming down to the bottom of the hour and we have to take a break. But the physics of what we're seeing and the physics of what we could be seeing and why this inevitably in almost anybody's planetary system and or universe uh, brings us inexorably to the serious, serious possibility that this is, this is in fact a, a, an imprint of some kind of very sophisticated technology. All of that is the cornerstone of tonight's program. 
So let's go back to Radio with Pictures. Let's get out of number four. Let's go to number five, okay? And I'm watching the time. If I run over someone, please tell me. You may wonder what I'm doing posting a side-by-side image of the Shroud of Turin. On The Shroud of Turin is this ancient Middle Ages artifact, a large piece of linen, which almost burned in a fire, which had to be repaired, which has several uh, repairs on it of new linen compared to the original cloth. On the cloth, <clears throat> the so-called Shroud of Turin, which you can see represented by the image on the left, remember, click on these and they become full screen, compared to a photograph of the inverted image on the right. Why am I using an image of the Shroud of Turin to relate to images of potential ingenuity helicopter blades imprinted on Mars? Because whatever the process that did the imprinting on Mars appears to be similar to the same process that gave us the image of a crucified human being on the Shroud of Turin, regardless of whether or not it is the actual image of Christ. Now, I've had people on here over the last several years who investigated the Shroud of Turin, and one of the most surprising things they discovered when they started doing serious in-depth research you know, decades ago when the Vatican would actually allow them in with scientific teams and instrumentation and the ability to excise tiny, tiny pieces for uh, radiocarbon dating and other sophisticated tests. The one thing which stood out in that original 19, um, I believe it was in the 1970s, this was all done, was the fact that when looked at a micro scale, the image on the Shroud of Turin is a projected radiant image, meaning it is a shadow image. On the left-hand side, where the energy, in this case we'll assume light, was brightest, the image on on the fibers of cotton became darkest. Just the very tops of the cotton fibers have this extraordinary um, burn. They've been oxidized. The cellulose and the other organics have been uh, chemically altered by the application of some kind of energy, uh, which produced a radiant um, shadow-like image, which was a negative of whatever did the original energy projection. And many, many, many hundreds of years later, when photography had been invented and the shroud was subjected to early photography, uh, photographers found two astonishing things. One is that the image was a negative, meaning that the dark areas on the shroud, on the left, found to the highest amount of energy which when you make a photographic negative and then reverse it, which is the image on the right, turns out to be the brightest uh, object when you make a positive out of the negative image on the shroud. Again, we're not talking about who it is, who did it, how old it is, any of those things. We're just talking about the mechanism 
of creating an active image, which when you look at it, turns out to be a negative of the actual image process carried out on the surface of the shroud. Okay, so now what we want to do is we want to uh, go to item number six, and we're about to run out of time here. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave you with this to kind of just kind of hold in your mind. Think about how you would create on the planet Mars a negative image of the blades of the Ingenuity helicopter on a desolate landscape tens of millions of miles from the highest example in this solar system currently known of high technology given that there is no, well, we'll get into that. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. continue to work on yourself the tribe comes forward they'll come right to your door so just keep doing the work and it'll come together yep as you increase your frequency then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it and so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed? Or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us. Accept our mess. 
and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer and I was on the other side of the news and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading toward. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond beyond the box. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. For this August 28th, 2021, a lot going on in the world. But even more important things are going on off the world. And if our projections are on point, which we'll find out in due time whether they are, these two extraordinary events, both on and off the planet, are going to come together probably sometime this fall. And uh, it will then be, as my grandmother used to say, uh, Katie bar the door. So what are we talking about on Mars? Well, we're talking about um, confirmation from a variety of unmanned NASA missions, the most recent being this extraordinary little helicopter, which by some almost magical means is flying brilliantly across the Martian surface, acting now as an operational scout. And a few days ago, it found something so amazing. Again, not reported officially by NASA, shame on you guys, but by a citizen scientist at the uh, Planetary Society's uh, Mars forum called uh, unmannedspaceflight.com by one individual named Francis Tower. And what Francis discovered was that after the Ingenuity helicopter had sat on the Martian surface for several days, because they don't fly this thing every day, they fly it and then they take like a week or two to analyze the images and they compare what it saw from tens of feet. I think the last flight they went up to something like almost 40 40 feet above the ground, which gives you an incredibly good panoramic view. And then they put their their um, color imagery into three-dimensional algorithm programs, which give them um, raised three-dimensional modeling of the surface, where you can see the rocks and the sand dunes and the areas where the uh, uh, Perseverance rover might get trapped. Do not want to go into sand dunes with your wheels. So they're using it now, not as a tech demo, but as an active, active scout. And a few days ago, as they were lifting off from their 11th landing to fly 
um, I'm sorry, a tenth landing for flight number 11. When they left the ground, they looked down. I want to go back to the other side of midnight now, to those images, radio pictures, and they saw that behind them, there was this remarkable negative image of the shadow of the Ingenuity helicopter somehow imprinted like the Shroud of Turin on the sands of Mars. So let's talk about some physics here, okay? And I want to I wanna bring everybody in. Uh, we've, as I said, we've got Ron Gerbron, we've got Ruggiero, we've got Holger Eisenberg, we've got Keith. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of open this up, so I'm going to make a few more statements, and then I'm going to throw it open to the, to the floor. Because to me, I think this could be potentially the most singular important discovery of the ingenuity mission, not a perseverance. You know my uh, prejudice is there. I think it was the actual uh, dome, which is Perseverance's most amazing uh, discovery, Arctic over Jezero. And there is strong debate among our members tonight as the reality and existence of that structure. I'm going to say right now, I think the latest discovery adds compelling new evidence that the dome, in fact, is real, in which case I will tell you now exactly how. Because if you go back to, by the way, I want to say that our music tonight for the uh, the bumpers is going to be from Ennio Muraconi, who was a brilliant Italian uh, uh, orchestralist and conductor and composer who has done so many scores for so many mainstream movies, uh, including a couple devoted to the planet Mars. This is from Mission to Mars. And I thought this would be kind of appropriate to play uh, as we're talking about this material tonight. Okay. Without further ado, let me let me talk some physics here. Okay, you want to go back to the other side of midnight.com. You want to go to my item number six. Why do I have a an article about photochromic lenses? Because beginning in 1960, the Corning Glass Company, the same folks that made or make Corningware, remember the high temperature Pyrex pipe plates and other kitchen paraphernalia uh, of the 1940s and 50s, the same folks who cast the 200-inch mirror blank uh, out of Pyrex for the 200-inch uh, uh, telescope on Mount Palomar, the folks who make Corning wear, those folks, they developed something that was extraordinary and incredibly useful and now has all kinds of unseen uses all around the earth. So in 1960, they invented this, which, what did they do? They put a light sensitive material in a melt of glass. And when they brought it out and let it cool and they fashioned it into lenses, meaning like, you know, eyeglass lenses, 
they found that it would light and darken repeatedly when exposed to light and then when exposed to darkness, which is the absence of light. In other words, the photochromic lens material, the active material, the metallic material suspended in the glass reacted to the photons of sunlight and would basically produce a set of sunglasses that when you put them on inside, they'd be clear. You go outside and they darken. And why do they darken? Because the light from the sun triggered a photochemical reaction between the metallic ions and the glass in the lenses, and they became less transparent to light. They go back in the shade, and in a few minutes, they're back to being transparent. What does this have to do with Mars? Well, if you go back to item number three, my section, that X, and you can also go to item uh, number four, which is from the unmanned spaceflight folks, uh, Francis Tauber, you can see that, in fact, the strange-looking X on the ground on Mars appears to be a negative of the shadow of the blades of the helicopter ingenuity itself. In other words, light is dark and dark is light. Why would the shadow be light? Because obviously, if you put something above this particular patch of Martian sand and you inhibit the light from the sun uh, high overhead from striking the sands or soil or dust, the material gets brighter. It gets light. Whereas the material still exposed to sunlight, like at the bottom where the, where the X crosses, which of course is where the blades cross, um, it's dark because it's exposed to full sunlight there. So whatever's going on in these Martian sands is creating a photochromic duplicate of the process that Corning patented decades and decades ago to put in business, you know, uh, skyscraper windows, in sunglasses, in car windshields, in all kinds of uh, technological improvements now for this reversible darkening and lightening that is called, called uh, photochromaticity. Now, we also have materials that change color when they're uh, ex exposed to sunlight, and then when the light is removed, they revert back to clear. So whatever's going on on the Martian surface, if as, as the little robot, as a little Ingenuity helicopter was sitting there for, I forget how many days, it was at least a week, could have been more, um, <clears throat> where sunlight was not reaching the surface at noon, directly underneath the shadow of the blades, the surface lightened where the sunlight was still reaching the surface the, the surface was darkened because it was being exposed to light from the sun which by the way at mars is only about uh, uh, one quarter of the strength of sunlight at noon on earth but you know you're dealing with a thermonuclear furnace which is putting out you know thousands of lumens so 
it, it doesn't really matter that it's only about one quarter of the energy. It's obviously enough to have created this extraordinary photochemical change in the surface of the planet sitting for all those days under the motionless blades, under the shadow of the helicopter blades on Mars. Now, why am I making such a big, big deal of this? And we're going to bring our, our panelists in in a moment. Because as far as I have been able to determine, and Ron and I have looked very extensively, uh, Ron actually did more uh, uh, digging uh, from the uh, uh, academic papers than I was able to in the time you know before the show, neither one of us has found any citation, any mention, any historical reference, any note at all that up until 1960, when Corning produced the first photochromic glass, we found no mention of any other natural materials, either inorganic or organic, lying exposed on the surface of the Earth, which will change reversibly like what we're seeing happen on the planet Mars. What does that tell us? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to give you my conclusion yet. I'm going to bring in everybody. Ron, Ruggiero, Holger, Keith. Who wants to open this um, discussion on the mysterious zero-graphic X on the planet Mars? Holger? I was at uh, this chemistry effect was also uh, one of my first guesses. Uh, Hello, first. (laughs) Good evening or good morning, yes. Yes, it's a nice evening here. The British village-like setting of Silicon Valley with the crickets chirping in the background here. <laughs> <laughs> so should we go oh, to your... Indeed. Uh, hang on, hang on. Should we go to your section for your images? Well, not yet. Uh, okay. I, I was also wondering first, uh, the, my first impression was... Uh, something like a photochemistry effect. Uh, uh, but uh, especially because it was such a short time where, it, uh, where the, the helicopter was sitting at that location. It was uh, sitting there for 11 days, actually, from Seoul 153 to 153-262 for the uh, starting on the flight 11 or 152. So for 11 days, it had the chance to do something on the surface. Mm. But what? Hang on, hang on. Let me stop you there. Because remember, Mars rotates. So it wasn't 11 days sitting in sunlight. It's 11 days where you have day, night, day, night. So the actual exposure time to produce this sharp shadow, which is when the sun was directly overhead above ingenuity and and the shadow rays would be imprinted straight down on the surface of Mars, you know, a few inches below those blades was only a few hours. Because remember, Mars rotates about 15 degrees per hour, give or take. And so you've got morning sun, you know, the sun climbs up in the east, it gets higher and higher. But as it's at an angle, the sunlight is easily reaching the ground under the blades So whatever, this is telling us some really interesting physics, whatever occurred to create this negative imprint with the shadow 
of the blades being white and the exposed ground on, on outside the shadow being dark had to happen in just a few minutes. Otherwise, it would have been hopelessly smeared and we wouldn't see a sharp geometric figure of an X at all. So this tells us that whatever the material is on Mars that is producing this photochromic effect, and again, I want to underscore, nothing natural has been found anywhere on Earth that does this. Any photochromic materials have to be produced by high technology. Well, whatever is doing Not it on really, Mars. Not really, Rich. Not really. In Matthew Brady's days, they used salt. Uh, as part of the uh, photochromic effect to be able to make the plates on glass that they used yeah, and, to make and the And you know how many hours they had to expose those salts and then they had to subject them to some kind of chemistry? Yeah. It, it, so it took, it took some days and days. Right just using salt. If this, if this had water on this planet, then there's probably still salt deposits still here and probably some other kind of chemicals that we haven't taken into effect uh, that we – probably making this effect like that. Uh, I'm, I think this is highly compelling and we need to look at it, but of course they're going to ignore it and just keep on moving. Yeah, but, uh, uh, I, I, wait go, a second. Go, go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. I, yeah. I'm sorry to jump in, but I, I think I found a, uh, another feature of this that, that kind of ties it together because there's something else. And I'm glad Holger's here. Uh, there's a, there's another, a related process. The, uh, Photochromism is a whole bunch of different things, and uh, there's one called piezo uh, chromism, which has to do with the change of state. That is, it looks different uh, of things due to mechanical stress, and that kind of change is not reversible. All the photochromic uh, effects that we're talking about that rely on chemistry, they revert back. Some quickly, some not so quickly. Uh, and the only the only other avenue of that is, and it doesn't really have a name, but a sort of a subjective photochromism, which was one of the first things noticed that started people investigating on this. Somebody, and I won't use the names because I've never heard of these people, but uh, except for one, Fritzy, Frit, uh, Fritzy, somebody named Fritzy reported in 1867 <clears throat> that he had noticed that uh, a solution of orange-colored tetracine. Uh, bleached out and but in the dark the color came back and you know so there were people playing with this in the 19th century just the chemical okay just so uh, we keep our, our physics straight here tetracine is an organic liquid yes yes no yeah. it doesn't it doesn't contravene anything yeah, you but said, you have but to, you have to the, but, but you have to point that out because there are no organics on the surface of mars how do we know this ultraviolet light Organics are broken right. down into very basic things like CO2, carbon monoxide, you know, maybe a few little more complicated, um, uh, like methane maybe, but you're not going to get, you know, things that organic chemists played with in the 19th century in terms of photochromaticity on the surface of Mars. So the best, right. the best model for a natural material would be, as Keith said, a salt. The problem is that in those early photographic experiments where they tried salts, they had to expose their plates, meaning their, their uh, uh, you know, carrier for the salts, exposed through a lens of a camera. They had to expose them to the light 
uninterrupted for days, days to make an impression that then had to be developed through the application of other chemistry. You have none of those conditions in Yezero Crater on Mars. None. Right. That's why I introduced the um, piezochromism. Yeah, but piezochromism uh, implies you have some kind of force. There was zero force applied to the surface. How do I know? It sat down there. Yeah, but it sat down on four little knobby legs, which would produce round spots if it was pressure, if it was mechanical stress, not the shadow images of the two four-foot blades, which are suspended when it's sitting waiting for its next flight at least a foot above the Martian sands. Nothing touches. Right. Well, see, I think that the chemistry of the dome material, which is what we're ultimately talking about here, you know, that this is, uh, this is a sand that is the ground down remnants of pieces of the dome that have fallen to the ground. And it's not going to be, as you pointed out earlier, it's not going to be evenly distributed. It's going to be like puddles after a rainstorm. You know, it's just going to be here and there and everywhere. And um, ingenuity happened to set down on some. And so all of these things, apply because it's you know it's a it's just a lightweight material and we got what one color picture we don't have a lot of reference things here but it's it's well we we have we have one color but we have a lot of black and whites we know we have redundant black and white we know it's real we also know since since both the guys at umsf and i have looked through all the other ingenuity images this is the first example of this kind of effect that we found in all the flights of the Ingenuity helicopter, which means this material must be patchy. Uh, there's probably more of it in the floor of the crater. It'd be incredibly, incredibly, you know, like one in a million odds if Ingenuity landed on the only patch of this material in all of Yezero, <laughs> which I don't think. Oh, yeah. To be rare in that it's, it was discovered for the first time uh, at the beginning of Flight 11, after the spacecraft had sat there, but it's very important to realize it's not sitting there in constant shadow and dark because the sun is moving, Mars is rotating. So the actual sharpness of the image indicates that when it lifted off at around noon, the imprint under the blades, the shadow, turned light because it was lack of photons that called the materials to, to lighten that happened very quickly. In other words, the response time of this material is very fast, and that's why we don't see a continuous blur of lightness, but sharp-edged, you know, negative images of the blades, because the, 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 the time it took to create the impression on the surface has to be relatively short, uh, minutes compared to hours. Holger, what do you think? Still, it's burned in. Still, it's burned in. Because if it was, uh, I agree. The chemistry, if there's, if it's a chemical process, it has to be rapid. It has to be rapid. Uh, and but the things with the most rapid reversals are the hardest ones uh, for the chem to, chemistry in the lab to come up with. And there's certainly nothing lying on the surface here on this planet that does that. That's what we were looking for. But you would get uh, a lot of ghosting. Except the ghosting would not, in other words, you'd get as the sun moved through the sky, 
you would get a you would get a uh, an image a little bit to the left. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the shadow the shadows would be would be blurred. What we're yeah, seeing, but those wouldn't persist. They would go away. Yeah, but we don't know. The well, nature of this but we don't know what's called the relaxation time of the photochromic yeah. material. And I'm saying, based on just the NASA data we've got, which is this one color image, beautiful, and the black and whites. <clears throat> and Holder, I'm going to come to you when we come past the top of the hour, so we have un- under uninterrupted runway. But it seems to me that we can see something about the physics in whatever this material is, it has to have a very fast response time in minutes as opposed to hours. Because if it was hours, there'd be that smearing because the shadow moves as the sun changes position in the sky, as Mars rotates and the helicopter blade shadow you know, skitter across the ground in a very predictable geometry. We don't see any of that. We see these sharp images of the blades like it was photographed just moments before it took off, which is astonishing. Indeed, it, it must have happened instantaneously, especially because uh, on the black and one black and white image, we see uh, the shadow imprint of the legs even, as mentioned, that is... Uh, surprising and they are only half a centimeter thick that cannot be uh, cannot have taken more than a minute even well considering light travels Mm -hmm. in straight lines and you're about twice as far from the sun as we are meaning the sun is half the size the rays of light coming from the sun are almost parallel which is how you get those sharp shadows but the sharpness of the shadows indicates to me that the reaction of the materials to do this is very short uh, minutes or maybe even less, which right away says that whatever created this material is well in advance of current terrestrial photochromic technology. Why? Because it takes minutes for current photochromics to lighten and darken. And if you lower the temperature on earth, the photochromics take much longer in a non-linear process to lighten and darken on Earth. So this is telling us quite a bit of physics about this amazing imprint, which we will pick up when we come out the other side. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and here is more Morricone, Mission to Mars. of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand
liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. back everyone on this Saturday night August 28th 2021 we're on the other side of midnight I'm discussing with some members of the enterprise imaging team the discovery a few days ago at flight 11 we're up now by the way to 12 of the little ingenuity helicopter of an extraordinary earth imprinted artifact on Mars the fact that after it sat there for several days and lifted off on the 11th day um, underneath the shadow of the helicopter blades as an X was a bright X on the Martian soil. Now, here's something interesting. We now know from, you know, 10 of these flights before flight 11 that um, when the uh, uh, helicopter lifts off, in, in some of the video, you can see a cloud of dust. You can see puffs of dust. And then you can actually see the dust following the, the helicopter as the rotor wash. Remember, uh, even under the very thin, we're told, Martian atmosphere, blowing down uh, at 2,400 RPM, uh, stirs up the surface dust. This happens twice every takeoff and landing so when the helicopter came in remember it does not float to the ground it powers itself with the rotors fully operating according to the uh, technological specifications of the uh, of, of the mission it literally drives itself gently into the ground to where its feet are firmly planted and then a cutoff switch terminates the motor and the uh, rotor uh, motion. Same thing happens when it lifts off. It starts the blades rotating. They come up to speed, more than 2,400 RPM, and then it lifts off, which means, and this is really important, and again, we're going to bring you guys back in here in a moment. <clears throat> During every landing and takeoff you know, couplet, you have intense clearing events of the surface dust and materials and the exposure of material underneath the dust, which is very fine, micron size. So this material is probably on the order of sand 
<clears throat> meaning little tiny, tiny grains that are made of some transparent material, which when it's exposed to sunlight, it gets light, it gets clear, it becomes transparent. And just like photochromic glass from Corning, when it's exposed to light, like you can see at the bottom of that X, the ground gets dark and then it goes away. There's no way that I can see any natural process on Mars creating this. And of course, that opens the door wide to Holger's input. Holger, what do you think? Fixation process here. Otherwise, uh, it would have been blown away during takeoff. Uh, so was also one one possible explanation I was thinking of that dust was falling down uh, vertically like uh, iron oxide dust in the atmosphere falling down by uh, after war, after the helicopter landed and then leaving with effigy uh, on the surface uh, as That's a shadow of dust falling. But that would have been blown away. Exactly. Oh. <clears throat> <laughs> it's windy there. Yeah. Well, that's normal winds. But we're talking about the added wind of a helicopter, which we know creates mm -hmm. dust clouds, because you can see it in the videos. And the dust cloud kind of moves with the helicopter, with the winds or against the wind. You can see it blowing in some of the uh, flight videos. It's it's an extraordinary, you know, uh, historical. Uh, set of information, it just does not help us understand how this could have been created naturally. So this is my model. There is an ancient, incredibly sophisticated, high-tech dome now in extraordinarily uh, ruined condition, still arching over Yezero. Portions of that dome have collapsed. I think, Hoger, that you may have caught one of those collapses several weeks ago when you put together that sequence of that weird dust cloud that appeared and then moved rapidly from right to left and then dissipated, it was like something fell from the sky, crushed itself it was, on the it, surface. It was a sudden huge, a sudden huge dust event. Yeah, Much, like well, hundred times larger than the typical dust event. Exactly, yeah? indicating in one model that it was a physical chunk of this material falling out of the dome, hitting the surface erupting, exploding in fragments because it's obviously totally rotten by now, having been eroded and eroded both chemically and uh, by sand abrasion for countless, you know, eons. And so when it hit the surface, it explodes, creating a shower of fine particles, which then blew across the landscape and which you tracked very nicely with uh, those, those videos you, you created. The point is, the material that's left on the surface after these falling events should produce intermittent areas where the surface material, if it's big enough and the granules are large enough and they're heavy enough to not be moved by the wind or by the helicopter, you know, airstream, will sit there. And according to this data, this material is incredibly photoreactive, which, of course, is completely against any natural model for stuff going on on Mars.
Well, it might overreact if there's a mechanical stress on it. And we have to explain the reversal more than anything else. No, we don't. Okay. Or not. <laughs> no, when when you expose photochromic glass to light, it gets dark, right? Right. When you take away the light, it gets light, right? Right. And the goal of all the labs is to find stuff with uh, low fatigue so that it can do that for an indefinite number of cycles without exactly. uh, ceasing to do it. And, and, to do it this, and, 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 and to do it rapidly. And at any yes, temperatures. Okay. So the material right. here um, appears to have all those attributes. When, when the surface is, is withheld from sunlight, meaning it was in the shadow of the blades, it got light. When the helicopter lifted off and that shadow was removed, the, the shadow of the blades appeared as an X against the ground with the areas of the ground exposed to sunlight dark, as you can see in the, in the photographs exactly like artificial uh, photochromics here on Earth. Uh, here's a thought. Maybe it's actually glowing a little bit. Sorry to interrupt, but that gets to my next uh, uh, idea. What should we propose yeah. to NASA that they should do next? Because we know they listen. We know they actually follow our advice sometimes, remember all those images of the dome they kept taking with the nav cams and the mass cams and Watson and all that for yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks. So we know they're listening. Okay, guys, here's the two things you need to do. One is you need to drive over and sample this material, <clears throat> that specific area where Ingenuity landed. Stuff this material in one of those sample containers and bring it back to Earth. That would be the best ideal way of analyzing what this stuff is made of. Is it little granules of former, you know, ancient glass dome marching over Yezero? Have we got a physical sample that we can bring home for terrestrial labs to divide up among scientists all over the world so they can all have fun, you know, competing with each other over what it is and how it works, they can apply electrical voltages to it, they can subject it to sunlight, they can subject it to lasers, they can do all kinds of tests on Earth that you can't really do on Mars, but here's one thing they could do on Mars. Are you aware, guys, <clears throat> that um, uh, Perseverance carries its own portable light source on the arm? Yeah, it's got LEDs. It's even got ultraviolet LEDs, which means I would prescribe, if they can do it safely, drive over to where the helicopter landed, scoop up a sample, put it somewhere where you can look at it in isolation, like on the deck of the, uh, of the rover, take photographs of it at night, in multiple colors with the LED lights on, with the red light, the green light, the blue light, the ultraviolet in various you know durations, take lots and lots of calibrated images and see what happens. They can do this all by remote control and they can totally quantify the degree of FOMO 
chromaticity of this unique material that Ingenuity has found, all with the rover on Mars. Ah, that couldn't be a higher couldn't be a higher purpose. That's the best thing they could do, because they got that they got that that equipment, and all they do is look at stuff that's a complete mystery to them. This one has something to offer. It should be a target. I think you nailed it. Hoga, what do you think? At, at least, the minimum would be to fly back with the helicopter. That would be the simplest. And sure, sure, if, if, the rover, if the rover can drive there, that would be even better to analyze it with the supercam, uh, uh, the X-ray spectrometry doing on the different uh, two types of material there. If the rover can drive there, sure, that would be even more interesting. I think they said there was a comment in the uh, NASA's Twitter feed that, you know, Percy and uh, Ingenuity both have their own Twitter, which occasionally I bump into. And they, yeah, they had a comment in there that uh, they were uh, having internal discussions as to whether to continue south in Seite or uh, in the Seite area or to go back to where uh, the helicopter was. They actually mentioned that, you know, but not really. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Look back through their Twitter feeds. It was just a passing comment, you know, that they might hook up with uh, Ingenuity again, because it's still in the same place. You know, this is the only time they've sat somewhere uh, for that length of time. You know, they've gone through two flights in the same area. Well, I haven't had a chance to look at the map, but obviously they did flight 12. And so they're in a different place now than where this imprint was left. The first thing you'd want to know, and Holger is a great idea, is to fly back and, and you know, set down and try to duplicate it. See if you can create another X. Yeah, that or, yeah. or at least take a look if, if it changed over the recent uh, sure. week. Well, it's reverted. Remember, yeah, the sci- model, remember, reverted sci- back to remember, science is nothing if it's not prediction. If I'm right that this is chromaticity has a very short relaxation time meaning it's really quick it takes place very fast then if they go back and take pictures there should be no imprint on the ground because it's now been exposed for several successive days to periods of sunlight and dark so it it should have you know uh darkened like the rest of the landscape and be indistinguishable uh, maybe no. well the the chemistry can break no, it can, they have, you know, fatigue and reversion are the two things that they worry about with that. And they try they try to go for... Um, yeah, but it's only done you know, it once. Fatigue. You know, you're not talking about thousands yeah. of cycles. It's, it's done this once. It'd be really nice to know mm-hmm. if there was still an imprint there. My bet is, no, it's gone away because it's a quick relaxation time, artificial photochromic material. In fact, it's better than any known materials that have been produced like this on Earth. And how do we know? Because under very low temperatures, these terrestrial materials take forever to change. And it's not linear, because chemistry mm-hmm. is not linear. It's, it, you know, it's logarithmic with temperature. The lower the temperature, the slower chemical reactions, you know, electrons moving, that kind of thing, uh, takes to take place. So given that Mars is very, very cold, both day and night, uh, this imprint should totally be gone. And so you probably photographed the area and you wouldn't see it, but we know where it was because we have all the other features 
on the landscape so you know exactly where it was. You let it sit there again. You wait several days. You then take it off. You take more pictures, and you see if you can recreate it for a second time. Science is nothing if it isn't replication. Now, if the JPL folks are really interested in extraordinary Martian mysteries, this should be at the top of their list to do. And they could do it really safely with a helicopter. The next most dangerous thing they could do would be to try to drive the rover to the site. Uh, I do not know in terms of hazards, in terms of dunes, in terms of the depth of the surface materials, whether it's a hazardous area or whether it would be fine. They appear to be moving into the Sita, which is this uh, region named after uh, uh, Navajo uh, cultural background. The Sita region appears to be an area they want to really avoid with the rover because they could get stuck. But there may be able to be a way for the rover to reach this region safely, in which case the nighttime experiment using the lights on the arm in controlled experiments with photographing and shadowing and all this would be extraordinarily interesting. Oh, yeah. But didn't they go past uh, or didn't Ingenuity fly over a ridge that they were afraid would be a problem for Perseverance to get over uh, in order to get to the area where this is? Or was that the earlier site? I wonder if there's anything obstructing them in the terrain at this point. I I have not frankly had time to look, and that's one of the things I wanted to do. Uh, But I believe, Olger, that you've been looking at this area of the raised ridges. This is in the same area, by the way, and I'm going to talk about the ridges momentarily. But, Holger, why don't we have you talk about the ridges, because that's part of your materials tonight. Yeah, the, the, the ridges is some other completely different topic. But I, I, I like to throw in two different explanations for the, for the image, <laughs> the X-image, because there are two other interesting ones. One is without light, uh, the real or the real xerographic process, because the, the real xerographic process, okay, works also with uh, UV light, but it uh, charges the surface, and then because of the charge, electrically charged surface, darker uh, dust material is kept on the charged areas and swept away on the non-charged areas. That could have happened, but then you still need this fixation process to avoid uh, being blown away during takeoff. Mm. Or some other explanation without light, uh, Maybe during the night that there is some X-ray flash from from the ionosphere from space mm-hmm. could be. <laughs> yeah, well, Mars has no magnetic field, so it doesn't really block anything day or night. Yeah, could, yeah, could yeah but electromagnetic fields do not block uh, gamma rays or things like that. No, I think we're no, kind of at the outside edge of speculation. It seems the, yeah, the, and- the simplest explanation is. This is the inverse negative image of sunlight shining down on the Martian surface, being shattered by the Ingenuity helicopter blades. And yeah, that's, uh, so that's simple. Especially, uh, you mentioned the temperature in chemistry, but uh, the surface uh, temperature is quite high, 20 to 30 degrees Celsius during the day. Uh, you're uh, you're in America. What, what is that in Fahrenheit? It's uh, 200... Uh, uh, 
290 to 300 Kelvin. <laughs> so it, it's room it's room temperature. Yeah, room like 70 degrees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Photochromics is 70 degrees, which is room temperature, operate pretty well, but that's not in the shadow. In the shadow, yeah. you know, the temperature is going to fall to the ambient, which is like you know 20, maybe 10, 15 degrees Fahrenheit above zero, which is yeah. not warm. And it's where photochromics on Earth really break down. It takes them like half an hour to change under those temperatures. This changed in minutes, if not less. So yeah. it's got to be a pretty sophisticated photochromic material, which I would expect of an ancient high-tech civilization on the planet Mars, whose stuff we're now looking at in ruins. Now, you say yeah. that the I'm ridges... Bored, bored with... yeah, and, and I like to uh, point out the... This, this iron dust rain that was also discussed in the unmanned space like forum, and I like that idea especially because uh, uh, iron dust, iron oxide, uh, sure that it has uh, existing on the surface, but there is also some mysterious connection with that you can uh, uh, show, uh, you can bring in there uh, from some completely different uh, point of view. Okay. Well, wouldn't you, if there was, a, if there was a, an electrical field of any kind involved, wouldn't you get, and dust, uh, wouldn't you get patterns like Venn diagrams appearing? And there doesn't seem to be anything like that. This is a straight image. Yeah. It's a one-time like place. the electric, yeah. See, I think it might explode because I think that that, I think that that dome material was doing a whole lot more than just tinting like a pair of Ray-Bans. Uh, and so I think it's electrically conductive. And if that's the case, I mean, what happens if you plug an LED light in backwards? Pop. Uh, so the stuff, you know, the uh, it might not handle an electrical charge. I wish they had a little probe they could stick in it and go zoop, zoop, and um, see what, you know, see what happened. But, you know, this one's easy to speculate on, and it's perfectly fair because the thing is obviously there. Nobody disputes that there is that image of the helicopter where the helicopter was sitting. Therefore, yeah, that, there's a reason that, for it. So go, you know, go for it, everybody. They should be looking at it. We, we, are, we are capable of saying that it exists because we got it with two different camera systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's exactly. Uh, but, well, uh, to get, you you to understand that on the arm they actually have an X-ray camera system on this mission, so you could literally subject this if you brought the rover over to it and suspended the arm geometrically above this patch of active material. You could subject yeah. it to everything from ultraviolet to X-rays, and then take calibrated images to see how it lightens or darkens in the middle of the night when there's no sunlight and it's very, 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 very cold. You could get relaxation times compared to during the day. You could actually, you know, maneuver the, the arm and the instruments on the edge of it to create a big humongous shadow and just let it sit there, you know, during the day and then take photographs before and after. In other words, there's all kinds of really, really cool things that the Perseverance image team could do, provided they're not, shall we say, prohibited from investigating any potential technological artifacts on Mars. 
Oh, I wouldn't mind if they blamed it on magic Martian meteorology for a while, you know, just to do the test. I mean, the truth, the truth will out on that, but this is just too good a scientific opportunity for them to pass up. You know, it's like we're not we're not claiming that Zeta Reticuli sat <laughs> down there and painted the and painted the and painted the ground or anything. You know, this is just okay. Is what is. It's there. We're not there, but the rover is. Go take a look at it. Figure out why this happened. They're not going to be able to come up with a way to say that it's a mistake or a fake. So you know, let's just see what the science says. It should be very interesting. That's my thought. Okay, if I'm and, right. Uh, if this was a, a chunk like what Holger caught in that earlier video, something falling from the dome and smashing into a million pieces on the ground, then there should yeah. be other locations that do the same. And the helicopter I've got one in mind. And the helicopter, just, let me finish please. The helicopter yeah, is the perfect tool because it comes in, it cleans the surface so you have a new virgin surface exposed to sunlight for the first time in a very long time probably and so there should be other patches and depending upon how long they have the helicopter tagging along with the rover mission this should not be the only time they find something like this and god if we could only reach out and get them to do the science I'm sorry. I have a I, I have an addendum to this theory. This is this is getting great. Uh, one of one of the pictures in my section shows something apparently falling down. I mean, I tell you, I tagged it Percy floater, but it it is not dust on the lens. It's something out there, and it's not on the ground. Okay, so well, don't why don't why don't falling. why don't we go to your items, which are right below um, Kintia's items? You just or you can just hit Ron, and that will take you directly to his items. Um, why don't yeah, we go to – do you know which one it is? Yeah, jump down to number seven number so we seven. can fit it in with this. Looking at everything num else. You look, know. Got number seven. Oh, yeah. Well, that's weird. Yeah. You know, yeah what see in that, the world see is that? that? Holger, can you see and that? I see it. it. It's not the helicopter. No, it's not because – No, 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 no. This is, just per <laughs> this is just Percy. This That's is not dust on the lens because it's got a shadow on the side, you know, from it's catching the light. All right. The rock on, on, on the top left is the raw image from Perseverance with this Correct. weird greenish cast. On the right top is a white balanced version. And at the bottom is a larger uh, enlargement of that white balanced version. The first thing I see off on the right, Ron, is that yeah. one is that wonderful geometric block. Do you see it? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why it's included tonight. We were talking about all of that. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then on, on the and kind of like in the middle, there's this big um, cone-shaped thingy sitting on the base with the cone sticking up. And about halfway between these two objects against the mountains in the background, there is this dark object which appears to be three-dimensional to have a shadow on the lower left-hand side, in other words, it appears to be a three-dimensional solid object, and it's just hovering against the background in midair, and it cannot be a piece of dust on the lens. How do we know? Because it would be out of focus, and you wouldn't see the shadow and the light detail on it if it was. 
Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't think so. Uh, that's, you know, I am loath to claim that there are that there are pixies flying around the rocks, but this uh, in this case, I it's it's not on the ground. I it it because of the focus and the shadow and stuff. I cannot see how it could possibly be connected with the hills in the distance, which are out of focus. So it's uh, it's sitting on something we can't see, or it's in the process of falling down. In any case, no. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the enlargement. Why would you say it's uh, to me? There's there's nothing under it. It's not sitting on anything. Well, exactly. Unless it's a piece of the invisible dome material, but it's not. So no, I think it's just well, okay, maybe it's cavorite. Say again? Yeah. We're going into break now. Oh, thank you for reminding me. Gosh. <laughs> okay. You're anyway, on the other side of midnight. That. Yes, yes. Everyone, hang on where you are. We will come back to my guest this morning. We're talking about the discovery of this really astonishing material that's been discovered. And, of course, the big question, is it real or is it Memorex? Is it just a natural mineral deposit? which unlike any mineral deposit ever found on earth has this remarkable short relaxation time, uh, photochromaticity, meaning it can change brightness in sunlight or in shadow in a very short period of time. We went through how we now know that from the previous discussion. If you missed it, but you're a member of club 19.5, you can play it back. Or is this an artificial material? which is either part of some surface uh, structure, some architectural ruin or remain or some, something shattered, some crystal, some, some whatever, or is it in fact a shattered fragment from the dome, which is photochromic, would have been designed to modulate sunlight reaching the floor of Yezero. And as Ron said, uh, probably was very actively controlled with voltage and electricity and and built-in, you know, kind of 3D printed wiring and circuits and control systems and all that. And are we looking at the at the sand, the smashed sands of a former very high-tech, very smart Martian photochromic artificial material on Mars? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and this is Ennio Morricone's score to Mission to Mars. We shall return. Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. 
join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night edition of The Other Side of Midnight for August 28th, 2021. My guests this morning are our Enterprise Imaging team, well, some of them, quite a few of them, uh, Ron and uh, Ruggiero and Holger, and uh, Keith Morgan is there in the background. We're going we're gonna to get to Keith uh, momentarily on something really intriguing. Uh, gentlemen, I would like to go back to Ron. And Ron, on flight number 12, <clears throat> which was, of course, the end uh, of flight 11, uh, and it took place just a couple, three days ago, um, there are some other things that the uh, Ingenuity mission has discovered and not yet talked about. And so, Ron, I think this puts us back in, in your bailiwick. Ron? I'm Rock. Uh, there you are. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, go to 12 and 13. 13 is the uh, full frame, pretty much. And um, the um, uh, but the on 12, you've got the upper part is a superior sized enlargement of the uh, they're big anyway. You know, the ingenuity images, the originals they post are mm-hmm. very, very large for some reason. But they're um, yeah, they're they're not super high resolution so it took some um took some work and i just lost the image on my screen but i know what it is the uh oh no there it is the uh anyway that's a superior enlargement there of an area if you look on the left side of the lower one which is you know most of the frame the one that's tagged right uh, you'll see that dark that dark uh spot that's part of uh the helicopter you mean so, about just, about two-thirds of the way up on the left hand side yeah yeah, and there's also and, uh, one. There's one on the right hand side. Those are the little feet of ingenuity, and they're got it. Yeah, they're, the they're a corner. cross, so it shows you that the frame is 90 degrees plus from one edge to the other. That's why the horizon, oh, in the upper left, is is curved. It's a wide, wide yeah, angle lens, to, and they have to tilt over in order to take a picture. Uh, the um, and you anyway, can see the frame uh, at the bottom. You can see the frame number at the bottom. And then on the yeah. upper right, just to the kind of one o'clock position, 
from the yellow lettering indicating the frame in the uh, NASA archive. There's the shadow. Uh, this is on flight number 12 now. This is not flight 11. This is flight 12 on day, I think, 174, Sol 174. Right. You see the shadow of ingenuity with the blur of the blades, and then you see this landscape. Um, this is an extraordinary image if you know how to look. Right. So look at the enlarged one, the, t- the topmost of these. The, and, top, the um, top part of the frame. Okay. Yeah, the top part of the frame. And just fa- uh, zoom in as much as your equipment is capable of. And I assume these are the normal thing. You click on them and they get bigger. Oh, they get uh, much bigger. Indeed, it's a wonderful, wonderful job. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's, eno- it's an enormous image, uh, which came out as a JPEG to 19.5 uh, megabytes, which was totally accidental. Um, <laughs> And I'm not kidding. You get slightly different measurements from different viewers and stuff, you know. But the, I, as I was as I was turning it into a JPEG, I, I looked at it coming out of um, Earthen View in that case, and I said, "Oh, 19.5. How about that?" Anyway, there are one of those ridges along there, at least one of them, that's uh, slanting up to the right a little bit from the left side. Uh, is all metal stuff. It's little. It's pieces of metal sticking up out of the ground, and they're they're pretty easy to see if you just zoom in a little bit. If if so, you make um, if you make the top part big by clicking on it the second time, on the right hand side, about halfway up the top frame, you see very bizarre looking geometric objects. One of which, which is somewhat set in from the right hand edge looking like an old 1930s heat em up flat iron uh you know uh, that's exactly I, what I, I was going to say an iron yes, board you know um iron it looks like one of those old irons you used to heat up on a stove before you could use it on an ironing board <laughs> right yeah i see that richard my dad's got one of those still got one see and, yeah it's, and there's a, Anyway, yes. If if you look at all these (laughs) objects, if you zoom in, take this image into an imaging program and zoom in really close, these are not rocks. Now, how do we know this? Because they're multi-fragmented, multi-faceted geometric pieces which are fit together in a geometric overlay that is absolutely impossible for any normal geology. These are artifacts. These are, it looks like, fragments of metallic artifacts and they're kind of randomly spaced around what appears to be bright paving blocks mm-hmm. geometrically yeah, I think to the upper left uh, that's another rect- structural rectangle you know it's another foundation remnants of a foundation with stuff it on. definitely looks like remains of a of an aligned foundational sequence of of blocks of something on which you would build a building uh, now, I, if, uh, all right. Go um, ahead, Richard. Well, no, go ahead. I have this, this, no. Go this ahead. Is just a show and tell item. I don't have any. I don't have any deep insights based on that. Just look oh, at all well, this artificial stuff I, lying on the ground here. I think I do. So let's go back. Okay. <laughs> let's go back to my images. And what you want to do is to click on R- Richard. That will take you to my section of Radio with Pictures. Scroll down to my number seven, and you want to. Uh, uh, take a look at that. It magnifies very nicely. 
Do you see all those light and darkish um, features? Not the not the rocks, not the not the bright chunky stuff, not the block stuff, but the general layout of the background sands. Do you see what that's showing us? And this is a lighter version of your image. Yeah, I see that. You mean the dark and the light of it? The dark and the light. What what kind of pattern does that remind you of? Mm. Foundations. These ah, are these okay, are depressions. These are geometric depressions in the surface that look like ancient Middle Eastern ruins somewhere in Sumer or Iraq or Egypt, whatever, of stuff buried beneath the sands. And then there's other stuff built on top of it, but you've got this organization, this geometric organization. And in fact, you can see the organization probably a little bit better if you go back to Ron's uh, number seven. Let me do that. All right, there. You do this, then I do that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you look at your number uh, 12, top of number 12. You can see that that whole area has an organization that looks like any ancient Middle Eastern archaeological excavation I have ever found, ever seen. Yeah. So therefore, Von Braun was right. They should have sent the archaeologists up on the first mission. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And we wouldn't be seeing this. If it weren't for ingenuity. Now, the question is, can Perseverance get over there safely to do a in situ set of incredible high resolution multicolor imaging and sampling of the materials of what appears to be ancient structural foundations? Holger? Rogero, what do you think? I'm not sure about foundations but uh i then how do you explain the geometry how do you explain how do you explain the geometry it's indeed strange yeah that's surprising uh, because i also no 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 no. give give me a natural process within the known nasa model that can create these excavations in a geometric pattern richard the only thing i've seen naturally that um so or the after process is uh, around our coastline in Dorset. You've got very square fracturing of the, I think the limestone bedrock. Mm-hmm. Um, and this doesn't really look like that. So uh, nope. my geology is not brilliant. No. Um, you'd have to explain it in that kind of process. And uh, it doesn't look the same. And also when we saw the first few Percy images around the wheels of the, of the vehicle, it's the same sort of uh, geometry that you can see on, on ground imaging. Do you remember those? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure on the process, but there's, a, there's other evidence to show the same type of thing. You know, well, wait, 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 wait. You're talking about those little things that had all the holes in them? No, no, no. I'm actually talking about um, the like foundations on, on the floor. Oh, the ones that they call paving stones, and I'm wondering why they keep calling <laughs> them paving stones. <laughs> yeah, so it's not... Now, this image is not right. the only that, that shows that same type of um, floor pattern, we call it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very geometrical. Some of it kind of spirals out. See the, out it that. really is. I almost included a picture of that, Ruggiero. Um, see, the way well, this... Go ahead. You don't need a lot of these. Yeah, go back to number zero. 
patient zero in my section. And that's, that's oh, wait, 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 wait. a bit about. Got to get back there. Got to get back there. Let's see. Okay. Patient zero. Yeah. Is there a zero? I labeled it. It says zero Stanley. I labeled it zero on purpose so that it would be sure to be the first one because. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a picture I took of a. Um, that's not me. That's my friend at the time, Stanley, uh, who was yes, who was who was highly psychedelic at the time, which is why his eyes are glowing even in an old black and white photograph. Uh, standing in a uh, temple building at Knossos and on the island of Crete, and so that's that's a very verified. Bit of ruin right there, mm-hmm. not too far from the public toilets, which are also cool. You know, they had flush toilets at the Knossos Palace, uh, but the we couldn't use them now. But um, the um, anyway, and below it is from Saul five twenty eight uh, from Curiosity, and I can't get away from pairing these two together. It's the same aspect, it's the same shape, it's the same size. That's the foundation, <laughs> and it. I mean, other than that, it's totally coincidental. However, if you get, yeah, and if if you want to peek down at um, at some point at Kins, and right below it is a comparison of full buildings. But uh, if you want some more, if you want some more of that foundation, I noticed Kinthea used uh, that. Yeah, exactly. For her geometric measure, she's not. That's her number two, since she's not here to tout her own stuff. Well, I I had her actually put it up in my section so I could talk about it. So if you go there to you go. if you go to my section um, right under it you'll see Kinthea's um, and number one is a comparison of the raw curiosity imagery and then when she worked on it to highlight the geometry and then if you go down two and three and four five you can do all this after the show folks the the point is how do we know there's artificial stuff on on Mars? Because we found it again and again and again on these images, and it looks exactly, again, back to Ron's comparison, like equally artificial mainstream stuff on Earth. Yes. And for people that are unaware of where Gale City is, that's just – I have very seldom exercised this sort of uh, – self-idolatry but uh <laughs> i uh it's uh, it, for much of its early early to mid voyage curiosity was has been prowling around something uh in gale crater that is clearly a city and it's so much so that one of their jpl panoramas you know one of those ones with the pia tags uh is of that area and that one has a blue sky i was just going to uh, say look at the damn blue sky by the way, they've been yeah. subtly shifting all the color imagery from curiosity to blue skies. It's really weird. It's like when they think nobody's now, noticing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're just they're just I think they're just extricating themselves from an unfortunate uh uh misstep in the past. And they, they will they pretend were... it never happened. Exactly. They will quietly yeah, so replace. I mean, look at all those pyramids. Look at those that wall, look at those. I mean, this is obviously an archaeological ruin. Holger, what do you think? I like, uh, yeah, especially I like the photo from, from Crete, uh, from the island of Crete, uh, because uh, I have seen similar ruins, but not in Crete, not even in Europe. I've seen the very same ruins in Peru. 
and Bolivia. Near Lake Titicaca and uh, in Peru, uh, Machu Picchu and Ollantaytambo, you see the same. Yeah, any, any terrestrial civilization that's into stonework, it's kind of like their basic principles. And regardless of whatever culture, when you look at foundations, they're kind of pretty much the same because there's only certain ways to build a building, particularly a big building, so it doesn't fall down. Yeah, and, and those have a special details that they look like something impressed into the hard stone, like in, into wet concrete. And that same technology you see on this big island in Peru. And you see mm-hmm. the same type of toilets in Peru because <laughs> they had water flushing <laughs> toilets and shower cabins in Machu Picchu. Oh, he's right. From, yeah. from granite, made of granite stone. Uh, that is, uh, hmm. to, you can view them. What do you think of Ron's item number one? Not zero, but item number one just below it. And click on it. It gets that's, much bigger. That's Mexico versus uh, Mars. Yeah. Chichen Itza. Uh, uh, but that's a very old photograph. That's an 1890s photograph. Which yeah, is good. I like those. Yeah, well, yes, of course. I like those better. Yes. Richard, do you remember when I uh, I sent you from uh, from Ron's image number one, the top one, Gale City? Do you remember when I sent you that sketch some years ago? He, he, he forwarded, forwarded me um, one of the originals. It's a little bit clearer than what Ron's provided. And I provided you a sketch back. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't remember. <laughs> Oh, I've looked uh, at too many images over too many uh, years. <laughs> this one is pretty damn good. Ron, where did where did you get the original from? Uh, I believe this one is a piece of that JPL panorama, and uh, the uh, it's actually pretty good, especially if you look at the full size version there. But right next to the impenetrable dark triangular shadow on the right side. And it's one of those where they painted the damn thing. I mean, you can, if you go in there to the pixel level and you're looking at it, somebody didn't want you to see whatever's there. You know, that happened. Uh, the, uh, but the uh, front of that building, that is the left side, there's a face there. That's Dorothy. That's who the city's named for is Dorothy Gale, not the, not the astronomer. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and and you th- I know it sounds like a chuckle. I couldn't believe it myself. But I mean, here you have a you know a, something that's been blown up, shrunken, moved around, and uh, at every the the face is still there. It persists. I mean, it's an architectural face. It's a. Um, you mean like a um, schematic? No, 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 no. It's it's it looks like a face, but it's one of it, there's a particular school of artwork that involves uh, things that are not actually connected to one another. It's got different names, and I can't think are of any Are we talking the about the feature near the top of that pyramid, uh, just on, on the upper left of the shadow, the dark shadow of the object on the far right, which looks like it's got a glowing, two glowing eyes? You see the dark, uh, the one dark eye is just like an eye, cut, an eye with eye shadow. She's looking to the left, and she's smiling. And it's definitely a feminine face. That's the queen of something. Maybe, so rather maybe. than call her Deja Taurus, I say, <clears> okay, <throat> Dorothy, here you are. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, that's, and I think there's a lot of that. I mean, remember, there's, I almost included the picture from um, uh, Lamini in uh, Belize, the place they call the Face Temple. And it's got a 40-foot version of the Sidonia face there that's popular. 
of that temple and always has been. Mm. The whole front of the building is one big face. You know, this is not, uh, this was not unusual. You know, it's uh, anybody seen an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah. Those things were not necessarily big freestanding boulders. Uh, they, sometimes they were 20 foot high faces, not even a whole body, but in any case, it's, you know, in, in that spirit, and I am going to imprint on my brain one of the proper names of that school of artwork because I should certainly know, but it uh, doesn't come up much. But if uh, it's like architectural art, if you like, uh, if you have something painted on a box and then you have another box sitting behind it, so that if you stand at a certain place, you can see the two boxes together, and you continue the continue the writing or the line or something from one to the next, so that from a particular perspective, it you know, it looks like a flat surface that's behind a single image, but it's really two completely unconnected objects. Do we happen to know? Sense? Do we happen to know the traverse path of curiosity uh, from where it is now to, to, in other words, in terms of juxtaposition to Gale City? Because the original track I saw, it was going to go up right into the middle of these objects. Yeah, I know, and they never did. They went around it. Well, never. No, they um, haven't. They haven't even gotten there yet. They're still well below it on the on the slopes of the uh, so-called mountain. Let's see. I have. Uh, oh, I do have one here. Yeah, this is. I have one here on my screen. It's. I didn't send it up, but if uh, I'm looking at a picture from Sol 710, you know, which is a couple of years before Sol 1100. Right. Uh, and because there was a bunch of interesting stuff on the ridge and um the uh, in the background uh is part of gale city you know they were across there's like a big mud flat it appears that a river uh, starts up to the right of or to the left of the major chunk of buildings mm-hmm. you can see in this little picture and flows down in front of that same thing there, which is why there would be faces looking down at it, or at least the one. And that was once full of water, and it it uh, it comes out in between the range of the, the two ranges of hills that you can see in their panorama and others. There's one little dark lump of one of them at the bottom of this image, uh, and um, the uh, so it covers a considerable area. Uh, it was a big city. That's why it was so fascinating, and it's probably why uh, JPL finally, maybe grudgingly, did a panorama because it's, uh, I mean, it's really, it's a big panorama, too. And from one side to the other, uh, it's all pieces of the same city, and it's not even done. I mean, there's more than that. So there's many, many, many images from Curiosity where in the background, in the far, the Farscape is uh, part of that um, urban center, and I don't know why. But uh, I think they went around to the left relative to this and up because this is from some distance away. Well, they're certainly now 1,500 feet higher than when they landed. They're somewhere on the slopes leading in this direction. And I guess we'll have to look at an overlay, you know, aerial map from uh, MRO looking down from orbit to know exactly where they are. But they've got to be, after all these years, getting closer because that was kind of the only one or two paths to get to the apex to go as high as they could past these various geological units that they see with the chrism spectrometer 
from MRO looking mm-hmm. down from orbit? Well, they certainly they do post traverse maps. That's what they call them. So mm-hmm. Anybody that wants to know, just look up traverse maps, uh, curiosity, and you'll get them. See, uh, I see from, all kinds of – sorry to interrupt. I see all kinds of yeah, no go. organized geometry, particularly on the right of that image of Gale City. Incredible mm-hmm. yeah. organized geometry. Holger, do you see it? I I see a lot of things on the surface, but uh, because we are focusing on perseverance, not curiosity. <laughs> because we're focusing I, yeah, on what? Wait. Because we're focusing on what? On perseverance, perseverance, Roma, uh, perseverance and uh, I'm I'm seeing something else strange. Uh, yeah. I'm Tell seeing us. biology. I'm seeing biology. Biology? Where? Cool. In the, helico- in the helicopter image. Oh, yes. Uh, I would love for that to come up. Yeah, well, they do have mud. I said the Richard. All right, hang on, guys. We've got, we've got two minutes to the top of the hour at midnight. We'll have one more hour to go. So let's uh, talk about the biology. We'll dump out of this image. Uh, we'll go. What did I do? I did, the, I did the wrong thing. Ah, it's terrible. Richard, yes? I'll just say I've done a full drawing of that Gale City for you quite a long time ago. It's geometry all over the place. Yeah, of so course. To find it and maybe discuss it on another show. Uh, unless you want to send it to us in uh, Skype, in which case we'll have Cynthia post it for the uh, uh, Club 19.5 folks. Okay. Now let's give it a let's give it a proper send off. I'd like to see that stuff. Uh, find it. Yeah. yeah well, we we've got about uh, uh, three or four minutes here because we're coming up to a break in just about thirty seconds. So why don't I take the break just a little bit early, and that will give Holger time to uh, I'm sorry, Ruggiero time to find the image, and uh, we will then when we come back we will have something even more intriguing to talk about. Because if, if we're really going to stretch the envelope, the idea of current biology on Mars, certainly the Mars that NASA's given us, is essentially impossible. But what if Mars is not the Mars that NASA gave us? And that gets into atmospheric densities and pressures and composition and temperature and all that good stuff. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation 
join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. It is now officially in the land of enchantment, The Other Side of Midnight. It's midnight here in New Mexico, uh, earlier on the East Coast, later on the West Coast, and on the other side of the planet, where there are folks listening to us. Uh, You know, we may even have listeners in Afghanistan. I mean, really, this is so extraordinary. I was watching an earlier... um, uh, documentary tonight on, you know, the uh, uh, Marconi-Tesla wars uh, in terms of creating radio uh, from the History Channel. An amazing story. An amazing story. Without them, we would not be bringing you this extraordinary possibility of ancient artifacts from a former technological civilization on the planet Mars including something new, which we've now been able to add to our list, potential photochromic glass buried in the surface sands of Yezero. Gosh, guys, JPL, please, please go take some samples. Go make some measurements. Shine lights on it. Do shadow work. Find out what it is, because whatever it is, It's not trivial. Okay, back to my guests of the morning, Ron and Ruggiero and Holger and uh, uh, Keith. We're going to bring Keith in here uh, momentarily. Ron, let's let's go back to you. You had some other examples. And then, Holger, I want to talk about the ridges because I think the ridges are critically part of this unfolding story. Uh, Ron first. Hello. Uh, yes. Can you hear me now? Can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Sound like <laughs> the cable, the the um, cable guy or whatever that is. Yep. Anyway, uh, numbers, images two, three, and four and five are. Um, orbital shots from the reconnaissance orbiter and um, oh my god 
Holy yeah. cow. Number two is what looks like a whole city made out of glass, but it doesn't uh, – whatever that blue material is. I mean, there's too much uh, There's too much geometry in Look there. Look at all that geometry. Yeah, it can't just be pixelization. And below it is a section of the MRO strip, you know, so you can see where it is. This one, I picked this one because it's you know, the color contrast. I was going to say, if, 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 if you look quickly at that bottom section, you know what it looks like? What? An aerial photograph over Northern California of uh, <laughs> redwoods. Looks like a huge forest. And of yeah, course it's I know not. The, no, the color drives me crazy, but that's what color that's what color it is. Yeah, there's actually a sphinx on that image uh, down in the uh, uh, lower right. You can't see it in the small, you know, in the small one, but it's, um, that's why there's a picture further down. Let's see on my own. No, wait, wait, you say, you mean on the, on the, on the bottom of your, of your double composite? The small image, the small version that shows you the, uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 the wider look at the MRO frame with the one with all the architecture above it. Uh, yeah, but down to number 10, I've got some miscellaneous Pictures of no, wait, 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 wait. don't don't let's not pass this up. I got to find it. First of all, okay. which image? <clears throat> the bottom of the frame or the top of the frame? Bottom. Okay, so with all the green. You're not going to be able to see it on there. You can see. Uh, think of it as Sherwood Forest, and there's like a little grove in there, uh, down on the in the right corner. With that little fan-shaped series of of linear thingies. Sort of, sort of, yeah. And there's in there is something which is on oh. it's the lowermost picture of number 10. Okay, so let, 10. let us go. That's that's why I yeah, that's why I So we want to go it. to number 10 in Ron's section. Got 10. We've got sphinxes. Okay. All yeah, right. I'm down at the bottom. That's off that same image. That's off that same MRO image. What am I looking pretty for? much in the pretty much in the middle. Oh, it's not it's not the back. green splotch on the right. It's the cat-like looking face in the middle of the image looking straight up looking straight at you oh my yeah, god that looks like a puma at either okay. either a cheetah or a puma it's not a lion not the morphology of a lion uh holger ruggiero do you see it i see some kind of two eyes looking up at me i think uh, right in yeah, the middle in the light area in the middle about uh, two-thirds of the way to the top in the middle. It's looking straight at the oh, camera. Yeah. I was looking at something else. He's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Meow, 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 yeah. meow, meow, meow. Yeah, kind of <laughs> caught, caught my attention when I was doing the image a long time ago. But so the other ones there are the front and back of the... Okay, here's, a, here's a, a tough question, Ron. Scale? Yeah. Scale? Uh, I haven't. You'd have to get that from staring at the uh, the, com- the combo up above. I I, uh, I couldn't guess. I mean, it's a good size, but I don't think. Well, wait. See, there's the whole. Hang on. We, well, we can actually the, we can actually the, go back. We can actually go back and look. Hang on. This is called real time okay. science, everybody. Okay. Okay. So your image is number, number two. Number two, and this should be in the bottom right hand corner, right? Yes, and I, I should tell everybody that the uh, the images on uh, number two are um, from uh, it's a completely different enhancement of the same MRO image. 
Okay. So it's not like there was something that came out, if that matters to anybody. But the light blue, uh, that's why there's some um, slight color differences. But they're aligned about the same. You should be able to tell that 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 the light blue area in the in the enlarged part at the top is pretty easily visible in the midst of the pseudo forest there at the top of the lower image. Uh, so the so bright the, uh, geometric city at the very top of the frame that you cropped and put as a composite is the bright area right. at the top of the bottom frame, which is much much smaller. Exactly. Okay, good. And good. That okay. one at the bottom. The only thing for scale I can give you is that it's about a. Um, well, those the color images from MRO are a kilometer wide, and I try to use a full frame width whenever I can because it gives some sense. Of right, scale. right. So we're talking so six tenths of a mile from the left edge to the right edge, give or take. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, right. how big yeah. is your enlargement in number ten from number two? Uh, well, if you look down, see, I know where it is, but there's no way I could indicate to you exactly where it is on the image, except that toward the middle at the, at the bottom mm -hmm. of the, of the, of the image, the wider, wider frame image, you will see a dark void. See that, see that peanut shaped darkness at the uh, just above the middle. Yeah. The bottom. Yeah. The, the one with the, okay. with those bluish kind of tilted bands on the left-hand side? Uh, right. Now, now that you recognize that, do you see a similar opening or void that's brown in the background? Uh, just go straight up in the – align yourself on, along the axis of that, of that void there and just trace up to the middle of the whole image. Uh, so you're over near the right side. There's another uh, there's another break in the greenness that's about the same size. Yeah, we're, we're never going to find it this way. Ah, I know, but that's where arrows, it is. It's in arrows, there. It's in there. Arrows or boxes or whatever. Anyway, for a lot of I people, know, well, scale is very important. But the fact is, if you look at number 10, let's go down to number 10. Let's click on it. Yeah. And you look at yeah. the bottom of your composite, there is a putty tap. <clears throat> In fact, I it's see not too dissimilar in size from the from the Giza Sphinx I or the Busigi Sphinx. Oh, okay. All right. All right. How's that? So, um, tell us what else is in the image. Well, your, there's your image. the uh, thing that everybody calls Nefertiti on the in the middle right, and um, the uh, you you I have to you, hang on, hang on, hang on. You have a quad. Upper left is Giza looking at the rear view. Uh, right is mm -hmm. the Romanian Sphinx. Um, on the bottom left is a black and white circa 1900 of a frontal view of the Sphinx. And then on the right, <clears throat> bottom right, there is the uh, curiosity image from taken on Saul 844 of what we've been mm -hmm. calling the, uh, uh, I guess, Nefertiti, because she looks kind of African-Egyptian with a headdress. Mm, yeah, exactly. And... Um... I wish I had a different one to fill that particular uh, image up with. You know, it would be uh, – uh, I hate using the same ones repeatedly. But anyway, yeah, so there's a uh, – that covers that. And number, not, number nine, which is my personal favorite mind blower. Okay, going uh, back to nine. Uh, right above it, right above, right above the sphinxes, uh, you've got the uh, – Holy crap. The, Anybody Good that's been God. to Athens would recognize a piece of something on the Acropolis, 
and look below it, and that that's not on that's not in Athens. That's on Mars. Yeah, but if you didn't tell me it was on Mars, I mean, look at that incredible Horus image on the far right, about halfway up the, the frame, with that huge yeah, there's an eye and a beak, and it, it looks like you know, like uh, uh, what, what were those famous sculptures that the British Museum stole from the Greeks many years ago? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes, the Dira. Were they called the Elgin something or other? There was a group of them. I'm I'm blanking on it. I've got Greek words running through my head, like dryad and stuff. I think it began it began with a D or T, and depending on which of those it is, I come up with the name. Yes, yes, you're right. They took all attendance of uh, attendance of Apollo or something and I can't remember the, what they're the called. Elgin figures of the Elgin something or other is sticking in my mind. The point is that if you had not told me that the bottom of this composite was on Mars, it looks like an ancient damn big ruin on Earth. It does. And if you notice the fact the um with a lot uh, of other junk intruded in. Well that's just construction details and if you look at the construction details of the uh Greek one uh, there's great similarity there. You know, I'm there's seeing, the same, pit, I'm, I'm, same pitch to the roof and everything. I'm seeing pancake effect. I'm seeing smashed architecture. Mm-hmm. Like a lot yep. came down. And this is the part that survived in the middle where you can see distinct features like Horus there on the right because it was made of much, much more resistant stuff. It didn't crush. It didn't smash. It didn't pancake. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's it's part of a much larger structure on Mars. I just the the whole point there was to show off the eyeball. Yeah. Uh, because that looks looks uh, that's your standard painted eye which on terrestrially has lingered on things you can find. I wish Tim was here. He could verify that you can find plenty of ships big and small uh sailing the Mediterranean that have an eye painted look on them that, for the same reason. Look at that cornice above what I think of as the Horus statue, and it looks mm. identical, give or take, to the cornice on... Is that the Parthenon? Yeah, uh-huh. At, at, at the top. It looks architectural. I mean, it looks like it's smashed, it's broken, but it's... Somebody designed it. Somebody put it together. Rogero, Hoger, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So which image are we looking at, Richard? We're looking at his number nine. All right, okay. Number nine... Yeah. Remember Emily oh, Tomlin? Yeah. Number mm-hmm. nine? Saw what, 1450. Yeah, I got that. Just got to let my eyes... Uh, Look on the right, far right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that painted eye. I see the eye. I wonder yeah. what it was painted from, because it's not sculpted, it's not 3D, it looks like it's painted... But to exist mm-hmm. on Mars, it would have to be extraordinary paint to resist all the uh, elements, including ultraviolet, et cetera, and, and sand abrasion. Mm-hmm. Wow. I know. And there's, it's, yeah, that's anything painted that survived is rather rare. Uh, it, it must be really high-tech un- paint. Or ceramic. That's an interesting uh, topic, painted, uh, because it's it's quite in discussion in the archaeology field were the the Greek temples painted or just plain white? <laughs> no, they were definitely painted. 
Yeah. I'd say I'd agree. I'd agree with Richard. The because uh, I well, no, we actually know. We mine, actually we have samples. We know it was an iron-based uh, paint, the red stuff, and then uh, hematite. And but but there are little patches where modern chemistry can figure out what it was painted with. Mm-hmm. May, I mean, this, these structures did not look like they look now. No, I hate I hate to ruin upcoming museum visits by anybody, but those be- those those beautiful Greek statues made by those quintessentially excellent uh, sculptors that are in the museums of the uh, from those periods, uh, they were painted as well. Yeah, they didn't they didn't they weren't just white marble or uh, any other standard substance. They painted them to look realistic. They were like uh, they were like department store mannequins. Uh, a, uh, I can't remember which uh, royalty he was, but there was a, a Middle Eastern prince that bought a house up in Bel Air. <laughs> Never mind the movie. Uh, <laughs> that um, was, um, well, I guess Beverly Hills, actually. Uh, and uh, so, you know, with more money than he knew how to burn, um, he, had, he had some beautiful sculptures that were, you know, classical sculptures, kind of we're talking about in uh scattered around the yard and i don't know whether they were left over from some former movie scion that had owned the place or whether he brought them in mm-hmm. but uh he had them painted after the style of the actual art that was around in classical times and the neighborhood oh it went, freaked out beverly hills yeah you remember that they went nuts and they drove him out of the neighborhood absolutely they drove him out that drove them wild yeah, and it was it was architecturally and artistically absolutely valid what the guy what the guy did. He wanted them to look look real. So if you so if you fantasize wandering around at uh, in a the temple of Knossos when it existed, or the uh, or an Egyptian uh, I don't know pick Heliopolis. I always like that name. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this, so that stuff was that stuff was painted a lot more than people think. Yeah, why not? It reminds me of my visit one year to uh, Gene Roddenberry in Beverly Hills, and we all wanted to go out caroling. And he looked at us in horror. He said, what? He said, the police will pick you up. <laughs> that's how uptight Beverly Hills is. Yeah, that's, that's not untrue. <laughs> I, guess I know it was not true. Hey, okay, let, let's talk. Oh, I, only left one, I only left one picture. There's only one picture left, and I might as well mention it, that any, it requires any commentary, and I might as well get that over with. Number six, uh, the top part is from uh, everybody's favorite uh, unpronounceable comet. Um, oh, um, oh. Um, Gersmaev, Chairman Yako. 67P. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, you want to try pronouncing it or shall I? No. Um, you, can call, you can call it Shuri. Yeah. Call it Bruce. Yeah. No. Shuri. Uh, Gersamayev, uh, um, The Anyway, that's a piece of that. You know, they took an awful lot of pictures of it. Yep. And below it is, uh, is some uh, Mayan uh, glyphs from Kiragua, Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're I, saying I see, there is a comparison between the two. The, I see an uncanny similarity. I mean, there's uh, mm-hmm. 67P is a very peculiar uh, asteroid. You think? It's supposed to be an asteroid or a comet. Yeah, it's... It's, um, it's supposed to be a real... comet. <clears throat> comet. Yeah, remember uh, years ago I had the uh, principal investigator of the 
one of the chemistry experiments on board, and she admitted that all the incredible organics they'd found were decomposition products of even more complex organics. Can you say mm. ancient ecosystem going to hell in a handbasket? Yeah, or the most extravagant funereal barge ever built. Ha! Huh. You you know Chandra model, Chandra Wickrama sings. Yeah. He thinks that their current active microbiology going on in these objects because you've got, you know, organisms, you've got food, you've got energy, you've got time, and mm-hmm. he thinks that they're looking at active uh, chemistry, biochemistry going on right now. Uh, and yeah, we, you should try and bring. Right, I, I was just so, going to say you should try and bring him in on the uh, study, on the study of the photochromic sand. Why would you think that Chandra would know anything about photochromics? Because he's still in academia, and to quote an episode of something I was watching last week, academia is a world apart. They can't live in the real world, and so they hang around with each other. Uh, the he would know somebody that actually. Uh, you know, could make a, um, uh, I like contrasting analysis and judgments. And I mean, they, you know, we're looking at something that's an absolute phenomenon and I, I am not a uh, biochemist or, um, um, so, you know, it's, it'd be interesting to me. Okay. We got about seven or eight minutes in this, uh, section. Holger, you said something rather dramatic about biology on Mars. You want to take us to where we see it? I'm yes I'm I mentioned biology but I I meant it in a more figurative uh, way but uh, if you see uh, if you take a look again at the X okay you, you mean my my enlargement yeah for example okay. that one the number four image from from your selection there where the uh, number three the negative plate image the X image on the surface and uh, right. When I looked at it, it is an elongated X. It's really an elongated X figure. And uh, when I read about the discussion that it could have been created from iron dust, and I saw this elongated X, I was remembering some images from biology. And especially if you connect uh, iron, iron dust, iron oxide dust, and in biology, iron is an important component in, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the hemoglobin molecule in blood for, mm-hmm. from humans or other or mammals also. And then if you see this elongated X and have some memories from biology images, <laughs> it, at least for me, I uh, remembered an, an X chromosome. <laughs> Than seeing that. Oh my 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 my! So we're being yeah. somewhat metaphorical. All right. To to yeah. raise it a bit above the dry science, yeah. <laughs> but I. <laughs> right. Well, we know they didn't just land on an elongated X thing that they saw on the ground. They no. caused it, and so that yeah, the whole that just adds more to the mystery. What You're are right, we seeing? What are we seeing, Ron, in your number eight? My number eight mm-hmm. um, looks yeah. like. Oh my God! I'm, I'm. I see a face. Another face on the left-hand side. Yeah. 
about halfway down on that big, you know, boulder on the left. Oh yeah, that's another. That's the other Percy shot. Um, not that I haven't been doing lots of those. It's just they're. Um, I know. To me, that looks like. Um, see, I can blow it. I can blow it up bigger for myself so that I can talk about it. Um, yeah, I wish that was the one from the new um, image, but that didn't make that didn't make it up. I had. Um, uh, for next time, folks, we have an interesting discussion about what is currently the image of the week. <laughs> um, the over at the um, Percy page. But anyway, it's uh, which? Where is it on here? Oh well, it's on the left-hand um, side. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can actually yeah. blow it up, and it still holds up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I see two eyes, nose, a nose ridge. It looks like he might be wearing a crown. You know, there was an awful lot of, um, um, you know, personal imagery that we're finding in these ruins, like statuary everywhere, uh, headshots, um, busts, and most of them are kind of lying down, so you have to rotate the image to see it correctly. This one, it's right there. Now, again, right. oh, you know... This one. Yeah. The, the whole problem of pareidolia is is really, uh, you know, uh, kind of a confounding uh, bit of noise because without actually getting samples, how do you know what you're seeing is sculpture or just, you know, a coincidental configuration of light and shadow? Context. Well, I'll tell you what I saw. I'll tell you what I saw on the extreme right side. Yes. That looks like a park bench to me. Mm, me I mean, it probably isn't. A park bench. Okay. Yeah, just we're only seeing about it. We're only seeing part of it, but you know, there's like the armrest part and the um, oh, back and the flat part. You could sit there. Well, there's there's too much blockiness to this um, to be just. And then you see the pyramid in the far left in the background, just uh, to the left of my twin pyramids over near the crater wall. Yeah, that's pretty sharp. Yeah, that really is. A and pyramid. then really there's is. other blocks in front of it. With niches mm-hmm. that look very, um, uh, what what's what's the name of that complex outside of Te- Teotihuacan? Uh, the one with all the sculptures Te- with the grooves. Oh, the pure the Teotihuacan, yeah, the Pyramid of the Moon. Not Teotihuacan, a uh, Tuanaco. Oh. Tuanaco. I always get the the two mixed up. The ones oh, up Tiwanaco, in Tiwanaco. Tiwanaco. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a piece. Uh, Bolivia. Uh, Richard, there's a really shiny rock, uh, sort of slightly to the right, halfway up, and it looks like it's got oh, yeah. like a keystone on it. Can you see that? Now, which image are we looking at? The uh, same, that same one with the park bench. It's right next to the park bench. Ron's number eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not sure really, which, Im- which thing you're calling the park bench. Yeah, not a, not formally. I just that's what I it struck my mind because it's you know like it uh, it looks like somebody made a stone bench and I thought because of the alignment there's I mean there's a face in one of the panels in the back. Yeah, I see a lot of geometry. Of I see right angles. I see strata, which is interesting. Yeah. Richard, um, if you see that there's a there's a series of like strata rock and it goes in a slight curve and so you're you're right. You end up right in the middle, and then slightly to the right of it, where it's fragmented into that one, two, three, four, 
about six pieces mm-hmm. and it's got dark, dark side which is fragmented and a very shiny side before you get to the bench and on that shiny mm-hmm. section there's like a curved keystone cut that would interlink oh yeah i see that you know, I see something yeah. on the very, very far right at the very edge of the frame that looks like a puma. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, the, uh, right the, in the middle. The shiny stones drive me crazy. You just you just warmed my heart by mentioning them because it's it was so much trouble to get even maintain even that much detail. You just you go to enhance them in the in the most minimal way, and they just want to blow up. It just wants to be a white splotch. You know, it's, it's very hey guys, frustrating. So that's, we're yeah. at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Ron Gerbron, Ruggiero Kahlo, Holger Eisenberg, and Keith Morgan. Uh, we're going to get to Keith and what he found this morning. And he woke me up. He was so excited. And it is kind of pretty cool. So we'll get to that. We'll get to some of the interesting things that Holger has for us. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. The background is the mission score from Mission to Mars by Ennio Maraconi, who unfortunately is no longer with us. We shall return. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the mp3 files directly from the 19 point archives if you prefer to enhance your listener experience a new the other side of midnight podcast is being added to all show pages which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of radio with pictures thus easily accessing the corresponding show plus you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them 
subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. Welcome back, folks. We're uh, <clears throat> listening to the sound score from Mission to Mars from Ennio Morricone. Brilliant, brilliant conductor, brilliant composer. Um, remember, he did the uh, uh, soundtrack for uh, 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 John Carter, a most under, under, underrated film. And... Uh, we don't have time, but we may do that in the next couple of weeks. We'll play some of that soundtrack. Anyway, this sound, this 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 background track, is from the part of Mission to Mars where the crew is in the face at Sidonia, and one crew member, uh, played by the guy that uh, starred in Sliders, I forget his name. Anyway, he's there in the spacecraft, and he has to leave in the launch window has to fire the rockets and leave for Earth. And they give you close-ups of the, of the watch on his wrist. And it counts down backwards. And then he makes contact with the folks inside the face when the digital hands on the uh, watch he's wearing in the close-up clicks to 19.47. Give me a break. Who knows what? When do they know it? And when are they going to get around to telling all the rest of us? Okay, back to our conversation of the morning with my guests, Ron and Holger and Ruggiero and Keith. Uh, where do we want to go next? I think... Uh, uh, I kind of forget what I said before the break. Uh, I, I think we probably should go to uh, uh, Holger, and you should tell us about the bridges. You were just at the Mission to Mars movie. That was also interesting. Yes. <laughs> Especially that, that very scene in, inside the face. There where, uh, uh, was it the scene where there was this helix Helix structure also DNA animation DNA yeah it was showing the seeding of I mean it's the only major mainstream movie that basically took our research for the last forty years and put it out there and never gave us a lick of credit a, a note a whatever and Brian De Palma who was the uh, uh, director right after he did the movie he split for France and did not come back for half a decade. Hmm. Anyway, at, he gave you a nineteen point five. That's an that's an that's an acknowledgement. Do you know? Do you know that that it's now been changed on the internet? If you go and try to find that frame, that sequence of video, where it counts uh-huh. down on the digital clock, it's not. It's a, it's an old Rolex. They literally reshot that scene so there was no digital 
time marker of 19.47, where they recontact <laughs> the folks in the. You must have a copy of it. You must have a copy of the original somewhere. Uh, I may have it on VHS. I may have it on VHS, or I may have saved an original frame because I I don't remember yeah. that I ever found it. You know, uh, apart from uh, you know going to the movies with Robin many 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 years ago. Anyway, Hoger, let's talk about the Twin Ridges, okay? The the raised ridges, yeah. Yep, the raised ridges. My photo section in my uh, in the section Holger's items, uh, the first three images. Okay. If you go to the page to, to the show page and then to Holger's items. Yeah, we click on images. Holger's items on the uh, guest page. Holger, there you are. Takes you right to your items. Okay. Hoger's and the first one shows an overview. Uh, that is the visualization from this great uh, Mars 2020 mission tracker. Uh, the URL is given there, and uh, they take the current images, combine them with a ground map, and you can move around in a 3D environment, view it from different points of view, uh, add a measuring scale even on the surface. It's really a nice uh, tool available there. And I marked the, the raised ridges there with this orange uh, double line. Mm-hmm. First, uh, nice. And they appear to make a right angle. Oh, isn't that special? Yeah, right. <laughs> At least they are branching away. And they're double and they're parallel and they're raised. And I think we're seeing close-ups in some of the Ingenuity color images. Uh, as soon as I saw them, I said, you know, either foundations or walls or something, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, there have been some mumbles I've seen on uh, various websites like unmanned space flight that say, oh, they're, you know, minerals bubbling up through the surface, through, you know, cracking, uh, you know, where you have mineralization. And although that is possible to me, the close-ups from the Ingenuity camera showing all that geometry and those artifacts and then those sculpted foundations, uh-uh, this is ancient architecture. Your mileage may vary. Holger, what's yours? And, and it, uh, yeah. f- the first time I saw it on this uh, helicopter image, it, it looked like someone cleared a path through a rock-strawn uh, desert surface there to get a path through it for, for walking <laughs> or driving. That, that is the way it looks like, but... Uh, it looks like that, yes, and, uh, but I cannot say more about that. <laughs> How it is created, I don't know, but it, it really looks like someone uh, cleared a path there through this uh, rock-laden uh, desert surface. I've and, seen uh, things lots of places that look kind of like streets. I mean, you know, just like a dirt road yeah. that I, in the terrain that I can't really fit in. I don't mean on this picture. I mean, I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, you know, that... Yeah, I, I don't know who created whatever it, it is. It's it's a it's a repeating mystery because I've se- I, I have seen similar things elsewhere on Mars. Yeah, and, uh, with, with, with the background now, I've seen uh, over the years many images from the surface. I'm I'm not directly saying that someone created it, but it, it is a strange process which was ongoing there. It, it's not the normal geology process, the, the normal slow geology processes. Uh, we I know for us it must have been something different, some different process. Can can be a totally natural process. Well, uh, again, Holger, it, 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 it goes back to context. Okay, 
And one of the things I wanted to do, which I didn't have time to do, because Cynthia had very short time to do this because she had to go up country with her family. But we've now they've now published in the PDS, the Planetary um, uh, Journal. Data system. Yep. Data. Yeah, the Planetary data. data System, where after six months, I think, the NASA data is archived for researchers and the world, et cetera, et cetera. And these are calibrated images. They're supposed to be rectified. They're supposed to be carefully cataloged. They're supposed to be, you know, known quantity, all that. They have posted without any public fanfare or any press conference or any discussion or any public debate or any presentation, which I find bizarre. The results in the PDS system, the planetary data system, the first six frames of ground-penetrating radar data from Perseverance. Ooh. And it looks weird. You know, uh, I'm obviously not an expert in ground-penetrating radar. I've, I've used it a couple of times when I was, you know, working on the Miami Circle with Robin. We actually had a investigator from the University of Alabama who was offering to bring his unit down and kind of trundle around in that uh, brickle uh, parking lot looking for ancient structures underground. Well, they've got one of these gadgets on Perseverance. The question is, on a mission that's supposed to be looking for microbes and chemistry, why do they have ground-penetrating radar where you're supposed to have landed in a crater a 30-mile-wide crater, which was a former lake, which means the bottom should be filled with sediments and, you know, muds, et cetera, et cetera. Not much geology to see in sediments. Uh, so why would you bring radar? Well, if you look at the imagery, maybe they're seeing something underground that's more than just sediments. In other words, is the ground-penetrating radar on this mission to confirm the discovery of underground structures that have not been eroded, but have been buried by the ancient lake that formed in Jezero millions of years ago. Do not have an answer to that question yet. Who wants to go ahead? Do you think um, like the, the surface area around it and the way those uh, those lines are put together kind of reminds me of Nazca. I'm not saying it's the same type of thing, and I, I think it's more some kind of foundation. If we were it, it, it looks more structural to me, not artistic. No. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but in, that's indeed interesting because Nazca that that uh, Nazca was created by humans, of course, uh, by. In, in the way to scrape away the rocks and lay them on the mm-hmm. on the border of the structure. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is how it was created. But they didn't create yeah, but, walls. They didn't create like oh. pathways. They created dark and light areas where they would remove the stones. You get um, uh, you know lighter desert varnish, and where the stones are placed, there's more desert varnish, so that you have figures that are artistic but they're created again by the oxidation of the materials over a long period of time. The removal of the rubble to create the lines was on a very tiny scale. The size of the rubble here on Mars, as seen by the Ingenuity imaging, seems to be quite a bit bigger. 
and much more architectural than than um, artistic. Yeah, this is a intriguing image we're, we're seeing here. I, I've got no thought process that um, that could explain this naturally. So, uh, yeah, I know you touched on it earlier, Richard, about the uh, bubbling up of uh, mineral deposits, mm. but I've never. I've never seen anything like this. Yes. I think touching on the um, the architectural is, is, is more along the lines uh, and, and you know, would require further investigation. Yeah, Holger, yeah. you've done a really good job on these images because the noise is very low. How'd you do yeah, that? No, They're gorgeous. Those, uh, those images from the helicopter on my website, uh, like any other image on the website there on my website, is uh, automatically processed. Uh, I correct the, the vignette effect, the uh, intensity uh, variation over the image that is corrected. Uh, some, uh, for the helicopter images, also the geometric uh, correction is applied, that the, the edges are bent up, that the hor horizon is straight. Then, and in those images from the helicopter where you can see the horizon, it's right. uh, that helps to interpret the surface in a better way than that. Hmm. Very hmm. interesting. So uh, we've got these various images in Holger's section. Two, three, four. These are four. Four? four. Yeah, four is interesting because on four, image four, we also see parallel things, structures. Well, <laughs> yeah, and, I think, structures I, I, and are... I think I know what caused those. <laughs> by the rover, but they are of the same scale. Isn't because the, that the helicopter images, the helicopter images are all taken from a flying altitude of about ten meters, and you can see they they appear of similar distance. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting indeed. So what we have here is a very curious set of features, but we have no real explanation as to what caused the parallel double ridges yet, right? I have not heard anything. So far. Yeah, that's, uh... I mean, uh, particularly when you look at the perspective on uh, number three, click on number three. Look at that. That's organization. And how far it is going into the background, into oh, towards it, 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 the horizon. It, it, yeah, I mean, you could almost imagine seeing an old prospector with a burrow quietly walking up that road. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's the image I'm referring to, Richard, that's just like, it looks like paths, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But why road. in the middle of nowhere would you, I mean, this has got to be very old. It's got to be the remains of something that was much more... Uh, sophisticated when it was new, why would you need in the middle of nowhere to create parallel uh, tracks of material, boulders, to treat us, whatever, with a path in between? It's like, why would you even need to mark out a path? Or is this the top of something with much, most of it still buried that's underground under the current surface, which we're only seeing the very top fragmented uh, materials like the stuff on the right hand side closer to the bottom of the frame what what would be the estimated uh, width of those uh, those channels 
Well, you heard Holger say they seem to be the same scale as the width of the rover tracks, right? Yeah, between, between one and two meter distance, I estimate. For those of us who are still stuck in American English, that's three or four feet? Yeah, three, three to six feet. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, in the UK, we've got a lot of uh, farmland, which is segregated by um, very crude stone formation uh, walls. They don't tend to have uh, spacings in between, but I'm sure there's some somewhere. Kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, when you double-click, it gets even bigger. Now, on the left, you can see a couple of three shallow craters. See those? Oh, yeah. Then you see Holger's orange lines, and in the middle, you see these parallel – I mean, they actually kind of look like some Anasazi stuff I saw many, many years ago up at Chaco Canyon. What were they doing? Why will you do this unless it's the remains of something much bigger and it's the most resistant, most erosional remnant of something that was much more complex and organized back when? Okay. Hmm. All right. I found something. Okay. Which image? Uh, Okay. Uh, it's related, but it's none of those. This has to do with what uh, Keith is about to come up with. Um, the um, stuff sticking up at which I think is related because it has to do with parallel things on the ground. Okay, no, let, I have no let us, I'll tell you what, it's a good time to bring Keith in. Um, Keith, yeah. you're on, if you're awake. I hope you're awake. Uh, item number one for Keith is a still frame from the video which he called me up at the crack of dawn this morning and was so excited about. I went and looked. And, gentlemen, if you click on the video, um, it gets much bigger. Um, I don't think we can make it full screen. Actually, wait a minute, we can. Yes, that little square in the bottom right. And then you click on it, and it freezes it. Click on the X that gets rid of the overlay. Keith, you wanted to talk about your find? Mr. Morgan, Mr. Morgan, he's, he's scrabbling to unmute. Uh, okay, until he comes give, comes back. Why well, don't let you me t- tell you why I found a connection for it. Yes, yeah, so it's all nine hundred and change. I start with like nine twenty one. Uh, if somebody wants to write down something really fast, zero nine two one M R O O four O four one zero 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 five. Zero one six five three e zero one. I think you did that much too fast. Mm-hmm. I know I did that because that's 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 I'm sort of I'm sort of be slapping uh, the um, folks at Perseverance for the ridiculous file names they use. This is curiosity, however, and you look in the nine hundreds. Um, so the title at the, the top. Files. Hang on, hang on. This is a guy from name uh, Daniels, who I really have a go. bone to pick with. Because when Keith and I and, and, and Ron were talking this afternoon about this extraordinary yeah. set of features, which appear to be a set of vertical metallic plates, all the same uh, thickness, aligned in parallel. There are four tiers of them in this frozen image, uh, looking like they're evenly spaced. They're immersed in sand. There appears to be some cross-ribbing in the center one, 
but they appear to be eroded iron or steel plates that once were manufactured. There's no known geology mm-hmm. that I can, I can whomp up either in my imagination or in my real science background that can explain four upright remnants of parallel structures that are wafer thin, comparatively speaking, aligned vertical and spaced evenly that are the result of any kind of geology. Just can't happen. Cannot happen. I'm here. Oh, there you are. Yeah, I'm sorry. Somehow Skype got muted. The the pattern that's in front of it, it looks like a – it looks like a a cross member that actually Mm -hmm. would fold into itself to make more of a square pattern. But then right next to that, you see three parallel lines um, in that section. That is not natural. It's not nature. This is something that just blows everything out of the water. (laughs) The plates are not part of some booster rocket, as somebody said. No, 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 no. No, no, no. There was no boosters that went to Mars. Everything that went to Mars did not have flat panels like this on it. They had some curvature to them because of the, the aerodynamics they had to deal with, things like that. This is not one of our stuff. And if it's been there for 20 years, it's not going to rust or turn dark like this. Uh, Even if it came in through the atmosphere and started to burn, it's not going to come out this pristine and have this kind of a pattern to it. Whatever this is, this is a smoking gun to what's going on on Mars. And... If you watch the video, it, it, it just kind of moves around and, and zooms in on, on the sections. And it, it's, I think it's really in, intense in terms of what it's do- telling us. And I'm sorry I came in late, but um, guys, just look at it, go through it, and you'll see for yourself that this is not natural. And, and people just need to look at this kind of stuff. But if this is the stuff we're getting back from the rovers and people are dismissing it just because they don't want to accept that this, this stuff on Mars is real, they need to look at this. All right. Guys, we're like five good. minutes out. Yep. Sorry about that. Okay. What oh, about no, that's, I... a good find. that's a good find. Yeah. Oh, it's terrific because, you know, you can pretty easily yeah. eliminate uh, all the normal mundane, oh, it's got to be this or it's got to be that. And you're left with an absolutely amazing, it's got to be artificial. And it appears to be some, I mean, someone actually compared it to steel plates on a ship. And I was thinking, given the fact that we know that this used to be a lake long time ago, is it possible that we're seeing the steel framework, the bulkhead uh, of some kind of uh, ocean going vessel that's now quietly rusting to death? On the floor. Oh, that's a good call. Of, of it looks Crater. like a bulk. It looks like a ship. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it looks like the manufactured nature of a ship's hull. It uh, it, is, it really does. Well, to me, that's, what's that's so striking it. is the uniformity of the thickness of the plates. Um, mm-hmm. Did you actually find the Curiosity original frame? Yeah, no, it's not from Curiosity. Well, I'm not saying it's from Curiosity. 
But I knew that there was a period of time when Curiosity was taking shots of things that were the same kind of material. I mean, like thin pieces of obvious metal coming up out of the ground that are something else. And that's what I said. If you look in Curiosity's raw files, I'm just looking at my files, so I'm not online with it. Uh, The uh, yeah, I'm looking at one from uh, Saul 921. Because unlike Perseverance, they make it easy to figure out which day the pictures were taken. Uh, so if anybody wants to go and look through the raw images from the mast cam for uh, Sol 921 for Curiosity, uh, they'll find a number of them. And See, they, one of the things that's uh, so weird is it says that it's from Perseverance, but it can't be Perseverance. None of that terrain looks like anything I've seen, and I've looked almost at every frame from Perseverance as we landed it ain't perseverance. It's got to be mislabeled, and it's got to be curiosity if it's really on Mars. Hmm. It's a yeah, damn well, good I'll image. I never say never about that, but I agree with you. It doesn't look like anything we've seen from uh, perseverance so far. And as you see from all the ones we showed tonight, uh, you know, we've gotten a pretty good look at some of those frames. I, I uh, can't imagine where they are. Um, hmm. So I don't know why somebody would do that. I mean, getting a number wrong. People do that. I've done that. Everybody, everybody, these damn file numbers are ridiculous. And, and, you know, unless, you know, of course you sometimes mislabel them, but people, everybody out there, please include the file name for the original. You didn't take the picture. Give us the context. You'll get more appreciation. I'll buy you a macchiato. I mean, come on. (laughs) Give Give us the numbers. You know, this is stupid. It's a, you're not proving anything by holding that back. And, um, I don't see how it improves there. clicks, which is what they call this. Uh, you know, yeah. just give us the full background, then we can go and check, because it looks remarkable, but we have to verify that A, it's on Mars, and B, from which mission, and I know it's not Perseverance. Cannot be Perseverance. If it's real, it's got to be Curiosity, and if it's Curiosity... Mm-hmm. It's an amazing place. Hey, guys, I want to thank my guests this morning, um, Ron and Ruggiero and Keith and Holger, for a very stimulating conversation. Guys at JPL, if you've been listening, please, please go sample the photochromic sands. Do something interesting. Do something dramatic. Do something like NASA used to do. So until tomorrow night, same time, same bad channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.